Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I return for two-plus hours of funny book funny talk with today's topics, Alan Moore's Miracle Man and his Captain Britain Omnibus, Infinity Man and the Forever People Number 1 by Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen, the DC weekly series Future's End, and almost an entire hour devoted to a dozen issues of The Avengers by Steve Englehart, Bob Brown, John Basima, and Dave Cockrell. Semi-hasty show notes are now available at WaitWhatPodcast.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. We also invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hello. Well, hello. Wow, that was, that's, that was ridiculously subdued, Graham. My goodness. I'm, I'm taking it easy, Jeff, because I'm thinking... We should calm down. We should we should take it easy. Now that we're in the second episode of our new and exciting mm. season of Wait What, <laughs> I was thinking, like let let's just let's keep it on the download. Oh man, I have to say, I really wish that I was together enough to start, you know, putting some like slow jazz in the backing of this while <laughs> you're talking. You could always do that in editing. I know, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I wish I was that together. There's no way. But having you say that with some Kenny G playing in the background, I just want to draw that image uh, for the listeners because, uh, you know. I, I don't want to draw that image for the listeners, so I don't want to put, oh, no, like, <laughs> Kenny G? That's just, that's just cruel, Jeff. That is just mean. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I I think there's a certain Kenny G is sort of the apotheosis of this sort of smooth, sexy style of you know what I mean. But but super super white personish. So that's part friends of my toys. Don't let friends don't let friends listen to Kenny G. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You know, I, I have to say, I, I believe you're probably right. So, uh, yes, well, we've already broken out with the hard one wisdom here uh, at approximately 90 seconds in. Um, how's everything, Graham? Everything is a-okay, Jeff. How's everything with you? Oh, you know, it's it's okay. It's a little stressful. It's a little stressful, I have to oh, say. Oh, why, yeah. why are you stressed? Um, you know, just a variety of things, just kind of not quite going right you know not not so much for me i think i'm sort of okay L- running a little bit behind trying to keep up with our sort of first bout of uh wait what related chores you know I'm, I'm sure it'll get easier but between trying to make sure that i like had a piece up and ready for everyone to read that i thought wouldn't be which which was great by the way oh did you enjoy it yes uh l- listeners let's let jeff let's talk about this for the listeners right now <laughs> Let's. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are listening and who have been listening along, you already know this, but uh, Jeff and I have relaunched, essentially. We are now living online at waitwhatpodcast.com. That's right. Um, and we have a Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. Mm-hmm. I got that right, right? For some reason, I suddenly second guessed the URL in the middle. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. Yeah. Um, we launched two weeks ago when we put the first episode of the, of the podcast as is up. Uh, and we had a great two weeks. Like it was ridiculous. It was, it was really the first week that yeah. completely blew us away. Uh, and as a result, we hit 
three, I think, of our of our yeah. milestones. Yeah. Which means that Jeff and I are now writing a weekly. Each of us is writing a weekly post on waitwhatpodcast dot com, uh, in which we review the comics that, to be blunt, we don't actually get around to talking about on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, and Jeff's went up today as we record, which is Thursday, uh, and it is about uh, the first three issues of Superman, Wonder Woman, but also Batman Eternal. Yes. The, the weekly comic from DC. And it's great. And if you are not checking out com, you should, because there's actually stuff there that uh, is relevant to your interests. Yes, absolutely. Graham and I talking about comics, as he so aptly put it, in a way that we really couldn't... Uh, on the podcast, because usually we're we're like Ernie and Gus Gus and just barking over one another. But Graham did a. a... <laughs> There's a reference that most people won't get. Those are my dogs, listeners. <laughs> I thought I thought they would. I don't know. It's it's so funny. I was like going back through uh, thanking people, and in fact, um, Rob G, who is a, a supporter of us uh, on Patreon, actually sent us an email back when we were at Savage Critic. Or maybe it was just a comment on one, I think it was a comment actually on one of the Savage Critic posts, uh, suggesting that, uh, we get your dogs to actually review, like, I think it was like We Three and the Legion of Super Pets <laughs> and Mouse and just all these animal related comics, which I thought, oh, I, I was kind of like. I, I can tell you right now, based on how they've been recently, mm-hmm. um, you could put any comics worth them, you'd be like, what do you think? And Ernie would just be like, whereas Gus would just howl. (laughs) Very, very vocal these days. Every every morning, uh, I get up and I start work before Kate's awake. Mm -hmm. Just Kate tends to sleep in. And then I go and I'm like, like, hey, good morning to to Kate when she wakes up. And every single time I go back into the bedroom to say hi to Kate, (laughs) Gus runs to the edge of the bed, sort of stares at me and goes, Like, he's simultaneously really excited and has never seen me before in his life. (laughs) I have to say, that is a great imitation of Gus. Like, and having hung out with your dogs, that's pretty much the vibe that Gus gives off a huge chunk of the time. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Oh, God. It was, it was very, it's, it's great. But that's what they do if they're, if you're asking them to review. Um, one day, maybe even depending on, uh, whether I can get my act together, uh, I will get them. Uh, I will get them to. I'll audio record the dogs. Yes, yes, and, and we, you can hear for yourself, listeners. This yeah, might that, be, that would be great. This might be a future digital crop. Well, see, this is great because we could actually like you could do a little soundboard, and then I could like I could interview them and ask them questions about comic books, and you could just hit the appropriate replies for them. So. Or not. I don't know. You're very quiet. Like, I've just said the <laughs> most insane thing ever. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Ultimate freedom uh, uh, corrupts. Absolutely. I want us to, to interview your dogs and have the dogs review comics. Ultimate um, freedom is the new Marvel comic, right? It's, it's the one where, yeah, never mind. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I wanted to run something by you, speaking of Marvel and your dogs. To me, and I hope you don't take uh, offense at the comparison, but Gus always seems like the Loki to Ernie's Thor. Does that seem right to you? Uh, I can definitely see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm where it falls down for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd like an Ernie to Thor. Yeah. Well, Ernie's a little more sort of, um, I don't know, sort of gregarious and sort of vigorous. You know what I mean? I mean, he would be a he's, particularly. He's much more affectionate, sure. Yeah, a very. Uh, affectionate. That, but, mm-hmm. but I think overall, yeah, Gus is the more vocal, and Gus is the more. Uh, Actually, you may be right. Now that I'm thinking about it, you may actually be very right. Yeah, okay, we'll go with the Loki and Thor. Also, because of this, I feel like I have to send you a picture of the dogs so that you can put this on the website. Oh, yeah, so you're pretty much going to have to. see the yeah. dogs. Right, so right, exactly. Like They'll be able to about. figure it out, yeah. But that's it's one of the things that always strikes me about Gus is, is, I, is, I, re, is I somehow manage to both see the vulnerability in Gus and also the part that is a little... Um, a little more just sort of scheming and manipulative, I suppose, you know, <laughs> than Ernie. So there's just something that I always appreciate about. about. Oh man, scheming a minute. Oh man, sorry. I'll be about my dog. I don't. I don't want you to think I'm trash talking your dogs because I, I, I mean it very are. affectionately. I know. I know. Right? Exactly. It's like, uh, wait, what war one? W W W one. The the Bro, wait what war to end all wait what wars. <laughs> I think that that could work. Mm-hmm. Although uh, I think I'm going to tee up another way war uh, oh. in the middle of this episode. Oh, so really? Just oh, okay. just be prepared. Okay. Uh, I yeah, uh, I will give you a hint. Mm-hmm. I got comp copies from Marvel this past week. What? Yeah, they sent me the uh, X Men No More uh, No More Humans hardcover graphic novel. Huh. And the first collection of Miracle Man. Holy shit. And the first collection of Miracle Man uh, came in at the same time as I also have at library the Captain Britain omnibus. Oh, see. so uh, so I have been in accidentally, mm-hmm. uh, like really early Alan Moore right uh, reading. You know, this was actually something that I w- I meant to bring up uh, when we were talking about the Ballad of Halo Jones the other week um, because you'd asked me why I hadn't hadn't read it and i was like oh i kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and frankly after i finally got the chance to read the captain britain omnibus i was kind of like yeah i should never read it because this was kind of disappointing right so which was well, well, that that's that's what i was gonna say like i reading cap captain britain as said i feel is much stronger than miracle man because the early episodes of miracle man are terrible oh man i don't know if i really would go that far as terrible but oh they're they're uh Right, terrible might be a bit strong. It definitely, in retrospect, mm-hmm. they seem appalling. <laughs> How they, so? No, uh, they're they're for, like the, the horrific purple prose. The dialogue is hilariously clunky. I mean, the first episode where he becomes a uh, miracle man, he actually just says "I'm miracle man" like three times in a row, <laughs> like on three different pages. He's like "I'm miracle man" and I'm flying. "I'm miracle man" and I'm punching in the face. "I'm miracle man" and I'm back. And it's really just. Like, you're very aware of what Moore is trying to do, mm-hmm. but, like, the the gap at that point between his ambition and his ability. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, of course, I, 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 for me, as a fan of Don McGregor, uh, I have to say, like, Purple Prose is my blind spot. Like, I'm just, unless it, until yeah, it gets to the not, point where... But there's good Purple Prose and there's bad Purple Prose. See, and I, 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 think the, I think Moore's, like, definitely the first six or seven episodes of miracle man mm-hmm. like is genuinely bad purple prose mm-hmm. 
And I think by the time he's in Captain Britain, which may have even come earlier, like I, it's yeah, I think Captain Britain's actually earlier. I, I thought it, it, it seems less, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, less obtrusive and less obvious. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it went the other way around. I don't know. You know, um, interesting. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because I read Captain Britain stuff, and it's not really like I found the prose unobtrusive. It was just this was stuff that I'd heard about for such a long time. You know, and there was just a degree of it that I was just sort of, um, I feel like more took a lot of these, you know, sort of cannibalized from that work and built stuff that I tended to end up enjoying better. Sure, sure. You know, so, and I think there was also some stuff that I would, even now part of it is like, eh, I should pick up and reread it. But of course, there were a lot of people who were like, for so long, I'd sort of heard as, you know, it's like, holy shit, the Captain Britain stuff with the fury is just crazy you know and i yeah, read it because you're like it's so intense and it's what is one of those things where you look back and you're like oh i can totally see when that was happening right how intense it would be because exactly. you would be like what what the hell it's you know he actually just outright killed him that's mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. what's really funny is so i i've the reason i read in captain britain is actually because i was rereading the earlier Captain Britain stuff that Marvel mm. put in two different hardcovers. Yeah, that's the stuff I'd really love to see that still got the flag over the face. Yes, yeah. yeah uh, yeah. Because all of that is in two hardcovers now. Wow. Um, including the the Black Knight strip by uh, Steve Parkhouse and John Stokes and Paul Neary, which ran in three-page installments Holy in shit. Hulk Weekly for wow. like 60 issues. Man. Um, and is reading that is amazing because it's rare that you read something where you're like, wow, this makes 2000 AD look like slow and soft. <laughs> but these, like these three page episodes really do. Oh, they're, I'm sure. They're amazingly melodramatic, but also just like, I'm fucking cutting to the chase like you wouldn't believe. Well, yeah, I would think it would be like page one, resolve cliffhanger. Page two, move the story forward a bit. Page three, cliffhanger. You know, and then just oh, it's, repeat it's like a computer that. It's, program. It's like it's like first three panels on page one resolve cliffhanger. Oh wow, right. And so, then like you know, mm-hmm. last three panels on page three set up new cliffhanger. Yeah. And I, he's uh, Parkhouse is really clearly working in tropes because mm-hmm. uh, it's like you know, who is the mysterious Walker? He's Captain Britain. So who is this other mysterious stranger that which just appeared now that we've introduced? You know, like we said, who Captain Britain is? <laughs> like there's a lot of that. <laughs> Uh, and it's, but it's also, I mean, it's just nuts. It's like, you know, who is the mysterious walker? Oh, it's Captain Britain. Oh, the, you know, he's working, he's hanging around with Black Knight because they both have Berlin in their origin. Mm. Who is this other guy? Oh, he's the mysterious, like, stranger who's friends with Marilyn. Who's this? Oh, it's a fucking elf. You know, it's like, now they're fucking time travel. You know, it's, it's nuts. That sounds uh, and awesome. And clearly just been like, I have no fucking idea where I'm going. Right. But I have three pages to fill, and I mean, there's. I'm going to see how many panels there are to page because it's packed. I mean, well, it must be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's it's just got to be like a brutal, like twelve to fourteen panels per page kind of thing, or you know, like it's, nine it's, to eleven like, or something. Yeah, it's like ten or ten or twelve panels a page. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's and but really, it's just like you know, and then and then and then and then and like, right. This is like. Maybe in a weekly comic, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. 
when you're reading them like in a collection, right. you really are just like, I can't read, I can't read more than three episodes of this <laughs> without feeling like I need to like, I don't know, go and run around in a circle to try and work off some of this excess nervousness that this strip is giving me. Totally. But, but it ends like, uh, it writes out Captain Britain before the end of the strip. Mm-hmm. And it writes them out in this entirely unresolved way. Hmm. Uh, basically, Marilyn is like, okay, Captain Britain, you can go back to your planet now because you're done. And he's like, and you've got more important things to do there. Mm-hmm. And it never, it doesn't resolve it. It just like, and then the story ends. Uh, and I thought, I've read what comes after this, and I don't remember if like it treats that as a cliffhanger or if it's just like, and then Captain Britain was fine. Right. Like, oh, right. I should reread the Dave Thorpe strips. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I got this omnibus out wow. live. And it, Dave Thorpe genuinely picks it up as a cliffhanger. His first panel is the last panel you ever saw Captain Britain in. Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, he really is like, okay, this is where the character was. Mm-hmm. I guess I've got to resolve this. Right, right. Huh. And his his stuff reads far more fresh to me than Moore's does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and far more interesting. Hmm. And I, I think it's taken me a couple of reads through the Thorpe stuff to really get what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's fascinating to me, you're looking at it now, that he was, and this must have been what? 80 or 1980 or so 81 uh i think he's basically doing a strip where which is a pacifist superhero strip Mm -hmm. uh, that is very aware of british class Mm. and the failings of society as is and the way that it perpetuates violence Hmm. wow and then so you have him doing this for five episodes whatever and then alamore comes in and by his own admission didn't really understand what was going on, and just immediately turns it into a superhero strip. Oh, yeah. Like, in an episode, it's like, I've killed them off, I've killed them off, now there's an unstoppable monster and he's killed them. Yeah, I was about to say, that is completely, like, 180 degrees different from what I remember of the Cap- Captain Britain omnibus in that sense. So. Yeah, because Moore just, Moore just comes in and is like, I, I don't think I know what's going on here. It's not what I want to do. I am literally going to either write out or kill this entire supporting cast. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get set this unstoppable monster after the characters. Right. The right. end. Like, I, I, I don't want to continue what's been going on. I'm just going to do my own shit, which is not very, uh, surprising if you think mm-hmm. about it. Cause that's what Moore tends to do when he takes over books. Like, you think about Swamp Thing as well. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like, I don't want to write that shit. I'm going to write my own shit. I'm going to do this, you know, incredibly dramatic transition. Right. Uh, but reading it back, Thorpe stuff was so much more interesting. Like, I wanted more of that because mm-hmm. so much of Moore's Come to Britain has has been absorbed by the mainstream. Yeah, hugely. And, hugely. You know, or he himself has taken it and continued to revise so many of those concepts, you know, well, well into things. I mean, you know, his whole, like... Even his, you know, latest Supreme or whatever, he's like revisiting the idea of multiple analogs of the same character side by side or whatever. It, it's also fascinating to me how, uh, reading Miracle Man and Captain Britain back to back essentially, mm-hmm. Captain Britain made me incredibly aware of just how much debt, early more at least, owes to Chris Claremont. Miracle mm. Man makes me aware just how much debt Mark Miller owes to early Alan Moore. Oh, interesting. Hmm. A Miracle Man reads like a, a Mark Miller comic these days. <laughs> it really does. Like, when you go back and look at it, now you're like, oh, shit. 
Mark Miller really has stolen so much from this comic. Right, right. Uh, but Captain Britain is just full of Chris Claremont for me now. Mm. And, and also uh, early DC, or, or rather Silver Age DC. Right. Like the yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, it's, he's, Moore is uh, consciously or subconsciously doing uh, uh, Silver Age DC riff well, with pretty much his entire story. I sort of feel like... I mean, one of the things that's interesting is because we've never seen um, more because of his stand against Marvel and like the reprints of the Doctor Who stuff. You know, we have we've barely seen more ever take on any of the Marvel heroes. I mean, the closest it really gets apart from like a page or two out of Heroes for Hunger or something, which as you which is, you know, was the Magneto page now that I think about it. You know, uh, is his 1963 stuff, but, but he's just, for me, I really suspect, and, and admittedly, he's gone on to play up the debt, but I feel like, I feel like Moore's much more of a Silver Age DC guy, you know? Yeah, that, that always seems to be the well he goes back to mm-hmm. when, when he does superhero stuff. Yeah, that's, that's uh, wh- the whether stuff he's that's doing, meaningful for whether him. he's doing straight up pastiche or, or, or doing something like even his Wildcats, I feel, is very DC influenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm I I don't know what's called it because it's not pastiche, but it's also he's not really doing it straight either. Well, I mean that's the thing with Moore is I think Moore is I I I suppose the thing that's interesting about Captain Britain is it's kind of. Maybe, maybe even Miracle Man, but I feel like even by the time, you know, partway through Miracle Man, his idea of, um, he just, it, let, let's just say that very early on, at least as a writer, he begins having a lot of difficulty taking the, the concept of the su- superhero at face value, you know? And I sort of feel like Captain Britain is kind of interesting because it, because it sounds like before he stepped on to the book is a bunch of stuff that the Alan Moore of now would be much more interested in and would, you know, claim that it would be the stuff that he always would like and appreciate. But it sounds like what he really did when he stepped into Captain Britain was very much his attempt to either, you know, to do what he thought of as superhero comics. Yeah. Kind of at face value. You know, yes, and very yes. quickly on, he, he, that, that no longer quite manages to be the case, I suppose. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it is very interesting because if Miracle Man is more slowly changing his mind about what he wants from superheroes mm-hmm. or, or investigating it in a particular direction, mm-hmm. Captain Britain starts off with someone kind of already moving in that direction. Mm hmm. And Moore then immediately pulls it back yeah, towards, pulls it back, towards exactly. more more familiar tropes. Yeah. It's yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, okay, you agree. So uh early Moore is is weirdly rough to read. Well, again, it depends on where you go. Like once I hit the Halo Jones stuff, I was like, Oh, this is much better than I thought his Captain Britain stuff is. The Miracle Man stuff is hard for me because it hit at just such a period. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's very hard to divorce. from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I was reading that. I mean, as you may remember, like throwing in, uh, the, in talking about Batman eternal and, um, Superman, wonder woman, I throw in a totally gratuitous, uh, Alan Moore reference, um, to a swamp thing story. And I just, even while typing it out, I'm like, God, I remember 
just how profoundly that story knocked me on my ass, you know, and just kind of that feeling for me of like, this is this is where, you know, you cue the old man, you know, nostalgia montage music. But like reading like I was just at that crucial age where I probably very easily could have gotten out of comics or at least gotten com- entirely out of superhero comics. But having more on Swamp Thing and Watchmen and Miracle Man, you know, and I'm trying to think of the V for Vendetta stuff came out, must have come out a little later, but... In, it, in the US, it came out considerably later. Yeah, yeah exactly. It came out after Watchmen, so... Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that I was quite so dedicated. I remember hunting down a few issues of Warrior, but not being like... I was like, oh, I can't afford to pay that, you know, but I, I you know, it really was... That so yeah, I just have such a prism of huge kind of affection and and especially I think for superhero comics were uh, American superhero comics were just so prof- at, at a very profoundly unreflective stage in their career at that point in the 80s I think that that more stuff like you said it wasn't especially um it was, it was pretty awkward, and I'll, I'll even give you crappy, I guess, even though it's hard for me to say the words out loud. But it, for me, it's just like it, that that stuff was such a tonic. And it's really interesting to have to revisit some of the stuff, the Marvel stuff from when I was a kid, and be like, oh, oh wow. Like, how do I get it, put it? Like, a lot of that stuff was... It was so, there was some reflective and, you know, challenging the assumptions of the superhero stuff, but mm-hmm. buried at such a deep, deep, deep down level, you know, that it's... Well, exactly. I mean, you look at some of the Engelhart stuff now. Mm-hmm. Yes, And exactly. it's, it's astonishingly, yeah. uh, I don't want to say subversive, because I think that's putting it a bit too strongly. Oh, dude. But it's, it's, it's astonishingly aware. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a way that... You know, when I first read it when I was a kid and I was reading it in reprints and collections and shit, mm-hmm. I, I like that went totally over my head. Yeah, me too. And then exactly. you read it now and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, listeners, uh, I, you should be aware that, you know, Graham and I, <laughs> even though we agreed that we said that we would, um, read up, discuss, uh, Avengers up to issue 151 this podcast um due to me sort of uh stumbling about and mucking things up we're only going to be talking about avengers up to issue 141 but let's let's be perfectly honest about this the reason we were going to read up to 151 was that i said that because it was june we were halfway through the year and if we want to make it to 300 by the end of the year we'd have to be at 151 right as jeff pointed out after we'd record the podcast the beginning of June is not halfway during the year. That's right. I I might have no concept of time. <laughs> it, so it fools Jeff, me all the time. It's like, it's six. It's half of 12. You know. Well, yeah. No, that's, that's exactly where my mind went. And so Jeff was like, we don't have to be to 151 until the end of June. And I was like, that's great. And so Jeff this morning is then emails me and said, so you've read up to 151, right? And I went. No, I just stopped because I thought we had until the end of the month. So it's actually all on me. I don't know why no, Jeff just no, took no, it no, on no. himself. Well, because like I felt like back. I totally muddied the waters because I was diligently, you know, trotting toward 151. And, uh, you know, I, I would have hit it by today, believe me, because I, I cleared my damn schedule. But, uh, 
you know, so it's, it's just that really, to me, it's kind of awkward because I said all that stuff, but I just said it more from the sense of like pacing. And so we wouldn't have to push ourselves and blah, blah, blah. I didn't do any of the really what it would have been intelligent follow up to say, you know, but we can still, but we're still reading through 151, right? You know, something that would have kept things going because no, I think no, really, Graham it's, it's very naturally, fault. I feel like you read that email and went, Oh, I see what Gr- Jeff's getting at. He wants to be lazy. That is his tendency. No. And I think, no, I think that all. was fine. Not at all, but bless you for, I, I don't quite sure what you're doing there, but bless you for it. <laughs> just bless you, Jeff. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I just stopped. I, I was like, oh, we don't have to be there for a while. See, I don't know if this is laziness or just because I'm about to tell you everything I did trees in the past two weeks, oh, and you'll Jesus. be able to like, oh, but um, yeah, I just stopped. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's my fault. But we will be going through. I think one forty-one. I think we agree. Yes. We, yeah, yeah, one like one fourteen through one forty-one uh, today. We're and a lot of it. Damn it. But uh, but we we I figure we can we can still bury it you know start in on that in like ten or fifteen minutes and and still have a juicy chunk. So what else do you so are you what other things are you going to regale us with slash horrify me about uh, having read Graham? Well, I I I'm going to preface this by saying I'm going to list stuff. I'm fairly sure there's stuff that I've not gathered in my file and and I apologize for that. Some I know I definitely haven't because it's already gone back to the library. Right. Uh, but also, people who are listening to the podcast, if there's something I say that you think, oh, I'd like to hear him talking about that, and then we don't talk about it in the podcast, leave it in the comments and I'll write about it on a Thursday post. Hey, there we go. A Thursday right. post? Oh, a Tuesday post. Damn Sorry. it, Cram. <laughs> yeah, you're doing Thursdays. I got confused. <laughs> anyway, uh, Infinity Man and the Forever People issue one. Oh, Future can we Space talk Space about Space. that now? Because I read that too and I really <laughs> well, want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about it right now. Yes, my goodness. So as uh, people who've listened uh, to us for a long time may recall, Graham and I both loved uh, OMAC, the new 52 reboot by the same team, Dan DiDio, Keith Given, and even Scott Koblish, I think, is back. Yes. <laughs> so that was a thing that, that I loved. I thought it was... And I think both of us were really surprised by how much we liked it. Exactly. So... To me, it was kind of amazing the degree to which they kept me on my toes. I picked up Infinity Man and the Forever People number one and disliked it about as much as I liked OMAC. So, I kind of knew you were going to go there, but I wasn't sure because I am really weirdly mixed by this issue. Uh, I was kind of disappointed by it, but I also see where they're going, and I'm like, oh, I'll give you another couple of issues. I Well, I sort of have to. I actually dug the last four pages that are basically the set up to the next issue in a which, way. Which are in, in, amazingly Kirby. Exactly. In a way, the rest of the issue isn't. Exactly. Exactly. This was, it's like they cut to that. It's entirely like the first four pages you would have gotten as an introduction to a Kirby issue to get the story rolling before the big chapter one page. And it is, uh, it, I, I really did. I was like, yes, this is why I want to see. Okay, I'm on. Let's see what happens. But the first grotesque uh, two-thirds of it where everyone is introduced uninterestingly and they go on to do uninteresting stuff. And as far as I can tell, every single choice that Kirby does, Dan DiDio 
undoes to modernize the characters, by which I mean Dan DiDio's concept of modern seems to end roughly circa the second season of Melrose Place. So, oh, yes, yes. Let's talk for a second about the fact that they're living in a singles complex in Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah. And you know, part of me, I, I, I had read, I don't know, there was some, I think US to, USA Today had like an interview like with Dan DiDio about the forever people. I think the headline is something like, even we don't know why we're doing this. You know, talking to Dan DiDio about Forever People. Also, and, was that the interview where he said the only reason I'm doing this is because no one pitched me the Forever People? Uh, oh, God, if he did, I didn't Because I, I, I don't know what interview that was, but he, he actually said that. And I was like, for the love of God, I'll fucking pitch a comic. Right, if you just said that, off. for fuck's sake. I mean, you know, you had, 50, you know, the, the idea of, like, how many people did they have, like, fucking pitching stuff for them in the, the new 52 frenzy? Like, the whole idea is like, oh, if only I had read Dan DiDio's mind. Um, I think I think he's sort of being mm, disingenuous there, maybe a little bit. Because I think, I think, honestly, he has... Uh, obviously, like, yeah, there are countless things out there that no one has pitched him and he's not... He's right, exactly. I was like, a, tune in next week when I'm writing 63 titles, one of which is The Hunted Tank meets Sugar and Spike. Uh, I just don't, which would be awesome, by the way. I feel like, um, yeah, well, okay, so I read about the condo complex, and I'm like, okay, that's going to be great, sort of. Like, kind of, like, weird and funny <laughs> and odd. But I kind of had this idea of, like, he's saying, like, okay, so you put the Forever People in Venice because that's the only place where they're really going to fit in, and then you put them in a condo complex. And I'm like, okay, I kind of see where DiDio's going with kind of – it. it arguably could be something – that even Kirby himself might have touched on, you know, because yes, yes. it's, it's not a bad concept. It's not a bad concept, but I did have that moment. I remember where I saw the condo complex that, uh, Keith Giffen draws, which looks like, which really is Giffen at his most Giffeny-ist kind of his whole, like, I don't really want to draw this. How about I set this perspective from halfway behind a brick wall? You know, kind yes, of yeah, Keith it's, Giffen it's, thing? Yes, it's full of um, Keith Giffen doing shortcuts. And, of course, let's remember that he is off the book after this issue for four issues. Which, to me, is as painful a bait-and-switch as oh, when Warneris was just it, like, Oh, six issues? Sorry, suckers. Moon Knight it's, was... It's staggering, because here's the thing. Even... When, if Keith Giffen comes back with issue five, this book's getting cancelled at eight. You oh. know this book is getting cancelled at eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't think 12? Is eight the, no, new, is no, eight the eight. new 12 now? Uh, well, it's, it has been so far. Yeah. Uh, eight's, eight's generally been the, the shortest that any book has lasted for New 52, I think. How long did Vibe last? Eight. Okay. <laughs> I officially accept this number then. Eight is the uh, magic and, number. And Omar class to date, and Mr. Mm-hmm. Terrific class to date. I guess that's everything, is, so they can is, do like a value-added trade paper. Yeah, trade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know, but there's another reason for this. I think by eight months, mm-hmm. we will be in. This is what June, June, July, August, September, October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it might go to ten because this is clearly leading up to the big crossover event uh, mm. next year. Oh, you think? Oh, interesting. Oh, Not the five years later thing, but the other thing. Uh, it's it no, but they're all the same thing. Oh, they are. 
okay. Yeah. Future's End, I know. Because okay. um, Future's End and World's End mm-hmm. are incredibly, obviously, incredibly drastically, not even vaguely hiding it, uh, suggesting that the next event is going to be a mm-hmm. war with Apocalypse that Earth 1 and Earth 2 will be fighting together and Earth 2 will be wiped out. Like, Future Science has pretty much said that's what the plot is. Mm, oh, right. Well, that's true, right? Because that's one of the early things is the Earth 1 and Earth 2 residents together on the same Earth or whatever. Right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've, they've outright said that uh, they're fighting Apocalypse. Right. During that. So huh. it's like... It's so the fact that they're going, yeah, we're doing a New Gods story. And let's face it, this is the first New Gods title that DC has done for the New 52. Uh, yeah, that's true. Dis- despite sprinkling the Kirby's Fourth World stuff. Um, uh, yeah, throughout. Yeah, yeah it's, very it's strongly been, It's been in Earth 2. It's been in Wonder uh, Woman, Woman. It's been in Superman to an extent as Justice well. And Justice League of America, right? Or Justice yeah. League. I'm Justice sorry. League, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's been in Superman Batman. Or sorry, Batman Superman. Mm. Um but yeah, this is the first time they've actually done a dedicated uh, fourth uh, fourth world title mm-hmm. as part of the new fifty two. So yeah, this is basically going to last as far as that crossover at best. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay, so yeah, right. it's gonna it won't make it it won't make it twelve because like the, the event starts in May in March, I think. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so this um, this one kind of has like this this has a shelf life. Then again. What's it called? Pandora lasted past Trinity War, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, that is kind of surprising, isn't it? Although it then died like almost immediately at the end of Forever Evil. They were like, we forgot we meant to cancel this. That's <laughs> right. Oh, right, 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 right. Hey, congratulations. This has been a good chance for you to pick up a check, right? Well, listen, okay, so that's over now. So, um, yeah, uh, so Forever People, I did not dig it. I did not dig the change in the characters, the whole attempt to make them all, again, you know, somewhat more modern and oh, bickery. normalized the shit out of them, didn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm, exactly. I, even the idea of them being students and yeah. doing a field trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, it, it really brought them down, really made it mundane in a mm-hmm. way that, uh, they didn't need. Like, it really... It Especially felt- because the ultimate setup for the thing is it's a field trip that's gone wrong. Right. And right. so why does it have to be a field trip at all? Yes, exactly. Well, that's it. Exactly. Why does why does it have to be that way other than it feels a lot like um, Infinity Man, the TV series pitch, or Infinity Man, I mean, uh, Forever People, the, the TV pitch or movie pitch, you know? It's like these characters have to be normal and identifiable and it's very much the idea of one of the things that was to me really enjoyable about Kirby's vision is these are these are the hippies that are sort of too weird for the hippies you know what I mean and although you can't quite have that same take on it I think there's there's a lot to be said about having sort of wild-eyed innocence um that yeah that's what i'm missing mm-hmm. i'm missing the fact that the, the forever people were originally they they represented the hope of tomorrow exactly and, and by what didio has done with characterization they now seem uh generic they don't seem to be of any oh, generation so bad. so bad i mean uh yeah exactly exactly but but there are changes that i like uh, I like Viking essentially being the leader instead of Mark. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I like Seraphina now being the sister of Viking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, th- like, I, in a way, I miss Seraphan. I, I miss the, because he was always somehow the stoner of the stoner of the group. Yes, exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of miss that dynamic. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I, I think that the new Beautiful Dreamer is horrible. I think the new setup for Beautiful Dreamer is, 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 disastrously misjudged well yeah i couldn't even figure out what that setup what i mean i know that um he spends a certain amount of time talking about it in the article but in the show i mean in the comic book it really was oh it's she's yeah it's it's a mess it's kind of yeah it's it's is she crazy is she not is she wise is she seeing things you don't know i'm not a we'll tell you later you don't know it's a you don't know because you're like well this is entirely inconsistent yeah entirely it's not even even seeming like it's inconsistent in the way that you want us to ask the question it's seeming inconsistent in the way that you actually don't know yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no i and 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 so much of it was poorly conveyed like honestly i feel like 80 percent of beautiful dreamers uh character was conveyed via her haircut you know what i mean like it's only like when you put together the haircut with the thing she's saying that is like oh i see she's supposed to be kind of the lost ditzy one i mean yes she's but not even ditzy she's meant to be i think she's meant to be nuts i think mm, she's mm -hmm. actually meant to be disconnected from reality but she's not because yeah. you'll but then be like, but then I'll use her to coherently comment on the scene or yes. or, or on the dynamics between the people. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, so basically she's coherent when you want her to be coherent. She's incoherent when the plot demands it. And well, that, that's, that's really, that's just bad writing. That's just sloppy writing. Yeah. I, I, I kind of think that that's the sort of thing that um, it's, 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 it's inconsistent, but it's really, it is, it's just, it's unfortunately bad. It's just the one little extra bit, like, and that's the thing. All of these characters, it's not just that they were changed up. They just don't feel, like, they just barely feel com- completely assembled, you know? And again, like the ones that you do for somebody like, I don't know, Mark Moonrider or Big Bear are done so in such really obvious ways like yeah oh. yeah big, big bear in particular feels mm-hmm. like a character you have seen many many times before yeah and again just kind of so i don't know but, but at the same time i like the i i like the change in the character dynamics that is at least suggested mm. i like big bear as the authority figure yeah i, I like i like viking as the leader mm-hmm. i like the idea that Serafina and Viking have a tumultuous relationship that is based around Mark. And so Mark will never be able to get on with Viking. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait, there, do you there's mean a Viking or do you mean, because Viking is the, oh yeah, okay, you do mean Viking. Okay, thanks. Yeah, sorry. Um, yes, sorry. Who, and who's the one with the boobs? <laughs> Sorry, what? the the one with the the one that's got the vented outfit and the short hair and the little headdress pulling her hair up, you know. Oh, Viking's girlfriend. Yes. Uh, Viking's girlfriend is called. Uh, what is she called? I'm actually not sure. I okay, thank you, because I actually when you kept saying it, I'm like, wait, isn't that Viking? And I'm like, no, okay, no Viking is the is right. the leader of the Azerte. Azer, okay. Yeah, and also Viking has a surname, which is kind of weird. Yeah, so yeah, 
Anyway, so yeah, it definitely threw me off. Some of the stuff I, I suppose would you, I, I agree with the bit about Viking, uh, and, and the fact that there is a nucleus of, yeah, like you said, conflict, I suppose, in there. That part, at least, I don't know if I liked it, but I can, that is the part where I was like, oh, okay, here's a dynamic that kind of gets built in that sort of, I don't know, stacks nice. And, and there's, it's a dynamic that brings all of the team together with the exception of Beautiful Dreamer, which mm-hmm. kind of also makes sense. If she's meant to be the disconnected one, then she's outside of that dynamic. But you have right. Viking and Mark will not get on because of Serafina. Right. Big Bear is the one who has to make them get on. And right. so he is now in conflict with all three of those. Yes. Like that is that is a team conflict I like. If you're then going to say, and all four of them have to basically agree on something to form the Infinity Man who you know, first of all, it doesn't appear in this issue because, hey, it's only, his name's only in the title. Right. Why would I think he'd appear at all? But, you know, <laughs> you have, you have a conflict that could work as a series, that works right. as a story. It's just that as delivered, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I am reading as much into that concept as they give me. Yes, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, I am like, okay, I can see how that can work as opposed to that works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, yes, I did not dig it, uh, is basically what I'm saying. I will be back next issue based on the last three or four pages, and then I'm and sure. And Tom Gromit! Come myself. on! Be back for Tom Gromit! Uh, uh-huh. His, oh, his stuff. You, did you read his Superboy when he was doing it with Carl Kiesel the second time around? And no, it was just, but I know you dug it. Was it was just Kirby Riff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you and dug it. He yeah. went prime Kirby on it, which yeah. is why I'm excited for him doing this book. Because yeah. he's like, I'm just going to bring out all my Kirby shit again. Mm-hmm. It'll look great. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I remember I really was unaware that he did that on the Superboy stuff um, until you pointed it out a million podcasts ago and I still haven't dug it up. So anyway, so I say that it's pretty much a, a big thumbs down, but I'm definitely going to keep checking out issues because I'm a sap. You're more. I, I'm ambivalent. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's potential there. I'm not sure if it's potential. It's going to be reached. Right. Uh, I think if I think if Giffen was staying on, it might be reached sooner. Mm-hmm. But it, he's disappearing for three issues. Right. Uh, I think it's just going to like slow the book down to the point where it'll get going with its last issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, which reminds me. Uh, talking about Giffen and talking about things that got going with their last issue, I read the collection of Threshold, which was the Hunger Games in Space series that he wrote for DC last oh, year. Do you remember that one at all? It was, uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, it was it, it was one of those three ninety nine books, and you get a backup. And the main strip was called The Hunted, and mm-hmm. the backup strip was Larflees, and then Star Hawkings. Mm. Uh, and the setup of the book was. Uh, on an alien planet, all political dissidents are part of a reality show in which they're literally hunted down and killed. Mm-hmm. Well, this, uh, And this is Giffen doing this? This is Giffen writing it. That's really funny. I mean, slash clever. And because, again, you mentioned Hunger Games, but as I'm sure you remember, Giffen was the guy who did the English adaptation of the oh, manga for, version of Battle Royale. Battle Royale, yeah. yes. Got it. Okay. Um, so he gets he 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 does very. You're very aware that the Giffen that's writing it is also the Giffen that wrote Annihilation, because mm-hmm. uh, he's he's 
working the same muscles for the series. Captain Carrot comes back, but Captain Carrot is now Captain K apostrophe Rot. Um, and he's like a cyborg, uh, pissed off giant rabbit. Of course. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a really interesting book. It's, it's entertaining. It's very cynical. And then the last issue, because it gets cancelled after eight issues again. Mm-hmm. Last issue is the most cynical thing Keith Giffen has ever written. Oh my god. Cause that's... And it's astounding, Jeff. It's astounding. Literally, uh, the, there's a, there are three cliffhangers in issue seven. Mm-hmm. And issue eight picks up, not with any of those, but with the main characters having conversation about the fact that the show that they've all been on has been cancelled. <laughs> Talking about the, basically the character dynamics and the dynamics of the market that have led to the show being cancelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, feature scenes of the characters in the stories being like, wait, but I was just in this and I was being shot at. What happened? And people are like, it doesn't matter. The show's been cancelled. We're just going to put you back on Earth now. Wow. And ends with uh, the main character who is a Green Lantern uh, being given the sales pitch by the guy running the show going, we're going to relaunch. Because this didn't work out, but we need to keep everything viable. So we're going to relaunch, and we're going to relaunch, and you're going to be a hero this time. And it's going, you know, it's going to be really exciting. You're going to be leading a super team. It'll be great. And he signs on. And then the end of the book is he gets killed over a voiceover from the guy who's running the show being like, no, no, because this is what people want. They just want characters to die as cannon fodder. That's the end of the book. Wow. Wow. It's fucking amazing. And it really is the most cynical thing in the world. <laughs> it is given honestly being like, I know how the market works. I know what the market wants. I literally just give you what you want. Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. Wow. That, that sort of would make the whole reading experience worthwhile for me. So. Hmm. Yeah. I seriously hunt it down. It's hmm. a really weird thing, but it's one of those comics where you're like, I can see this being rediscovered in 10 years and people being like, why did this not, why was this not a success? Right. Right. Also, the art's lovely. It's Tom Rainey and Phil Winslet. Mm, wow, jeez. Swapping, um, and yeah, it, it's it's just it's a really strange comic. I can totally see why it failed mm-hmm. because it had like really the biggest name in there is a Green Lantern you've never heard of, mm-hmm. uh, Lonar from the New Gods, is in there, <laughs> um, and Captain Carrot. Wow, 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 wow. Like so, like those are those are your leads, Jeff. Man. Well, see, this is, again, this was, I remember hearing about it a little bit because the Captain K-Rot thing stuck. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, I'm never getting within 100 yards of that. Because, again, it's just my thing of, you can't poop on Captain Carrot, man. I'm sorry. It's just not cool. So. What? uh, I'm very pro-Captain Carrot. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's fine. Uh, But anyway, yeah, I read that and it's, it's a totally weird book. Okay. But but I highly recommend it. Interesting. Well, I yeah, yeah. like I said, you do, said do there's a trade it. out. Is yeah, that the trade? Yeah, that's what yes. you're right. Get it from the library. You don't pay for it. And you get to enjoy it and go, huh, that's a fucking weird book. Okay. Well, that is that is on my to-do list, definitely. In fact, uh, I'm going to write it on my uh, Also, I, not really on your to-do list, but something you may want to check out after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Future's End is turning into a fascinating little comic. Really? Yeah, it's really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... Part of me wants to say it's 52 done right. <laughs> and I think a million people will then try and stab me. Yes, 
I, I might uh, even be one of them. <laughs> it, but it kind of is if you consider what Fifty Two was originally meant to do. Yes, and then gloriously didn't. Right. Uh, it's definitely countdown to Final Crisis done right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it is much closer to Fifty Two, much closer to Fifty Two than it is countdown to Final Crisis. Hmm. Um, there is. They're very clearly heading towards. They're setting up the event. Mm-hmm. Or like X number of months down the line, like incredibly clearly, mm-hmm. but it's a book that is completely unashamed to be like, actually, here's our theme. <laughs> like we we are more interested in thematic mm-hmm. resolution than we are in plot, hmm. and so you have various characters in text, not even a subtext discuss their concept of what it means to be a hero and be a superhero mm-hmm. and what you have to sacrifice for that and what it means to sacrifice that. Mm-hmm. And so you have uh, Mr. Terrific has now been essentially turned into Kanye West slash uh, Steve Jobs <laughs> who believes that being a superhero means creating technology that makes the world better. Right. And he outright says, that's what it means to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Firestorm, who c- will no longer become Firestorm because it means they have to give up their own personal lives. Uh, you have Red Robin, who's quit being a superhero because it was too much. Mm-hmm. You have Lois Lane being an investigator into all of this and then trying to put the pieces together. Uh, you have Frankenstein, who is at war with... Uh, himself and his organization and the concept of being a hero at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's a very, very strange book. Hmm. Um, but kind of, but fascinatingly so. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not coming together uh, in the way that Countdown felt forced together. Mm-hmm. I feel like Countdown felt like it forced lots of, no, they're all in the same universe. See, they'll cross in each other's paths and blah, 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 blah. Right. Whereas Future Sense so far is very happy to be like, this is incredibly disparate. Hmm. Uh, but it's also lifting plot chunk or uh, not even plots, lifting mysteries and uh, concepts directly from 52. What? Really? Huh. You have you have masked Superman and who is masked Superman and why is masked Superman masked Superman? Wow, Mister Terrific is going through the Booster Gold plot. <laughs> Jeez, interesting. Uh, it, yeah, it's 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 this weird weird thing. Is that I honestly feel that all the writers involved were like, we should read Fifty Two because that's the one that worked, and are then like, okay, so how do we retrofit that? Right, right. It's like, hey, let's let's take this part that works really well with this idea that we're building toward and yeah huh uh yeah it, it's i i honestly get the feeling that at the end of this uh you'll have something that is somewhere between 52 and countdown to final crisis much closer to 52 hmm. um but unique in that it's simultaneously trying to set up the status quo and and actually trying to do it it's supposed to 52 which i feel abandoned that really early on yes uh, but also is much more interested in making, quote-unquote, a statement than Countdown to Final Crisis ever was, because Countdown to Final Crisis was more concerned with hitting deadlines and nothing else. Right, exactly. Past a certain point, it was just like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, it wasn't interested in coherence by the end of it. 
Well, I kind of got the idea. It sort of seemed like there was this idea of like, oh, okay, we have to set up all this stuff that's going to be going on in Final Crisis. Here are the beats that we have to hit. And then it was like, okay, well, we hit them. That was done. And everyone's like, no, this is week six. Like, you've got, you know, get going. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but also, uh, kind of Final Crisis, like, actively contradicted Final Crisis. As far as I can on, tell, on, like, it basically... Five different on basically everything it had to set up, yeah. it actively contradicted the book. It screwed things up, and yeah, I think Grant Morrison was just like, they more or less just pillaged all my ideas, did them terribly, um, and then I came up with, I had to come up with an excuse to uh, talk about why none of it really mattered, which only took me six minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, this, this hopefully will be better than that but it's interesting hearing that you're enjoying it um, oh i'm i'm really enjoying it it is uh-huh. no joke first thing i read every week oh really huh yeah well that might be the nature of a weekly book i mean i definitely well yeah because you i was really interested in reading your post about batman eternal that you mm-hmm. are you're also on the train mm-hmm. but on the train almost for the wrong reasons <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I kind of feel like that with Future's End. Like I feel like I'm on the train, not because I'm like this is an amazing story, right? Because part of it is really, what are they doing, right? And how are they, how are they doing it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So there, there is a little bit of that. There is a little bit of the, a weekly book has a certain. I don't know, urgency to it. You know what I mean? Like, it really is. It's like, okay, this is going to be the first book that I read. And like this this issue, like I, I pretty much wrote my reviews up through like issue nine. And then once I had them finished, I like came back from the store and read issue 10. And I'm like, should I revise my reviews? And I'm like, no, it's all exactly the same. My review would just be, P.S., I really like the horse people. You know, like there's like, like it's this like, Batman Eternal number 10 is an amazingly dumb comic book, even based on the other previous issues that have come by. But at that point, there's sort of with a weekly comic, there's sort of a weird low investment. Uh, like it doesn't really have to win you it. Like there's got to be like just enough of a hook that you're kind of like, oh, OK, you know, and then afterwards you're yeah, like, sure, I wonder what happens next. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. That's yeah. all you actually want from it. So yeah, Batman Eternal number ten just well, totally I- had like this thing of like Professor Pig basically has a bunch of the devil's rejects, you know, that literally are it's like the barnyard. I don't I don't remember what he calls them, but it's basically a bunch of gangsters. One's got a chicken head, one's got a horse head, one's got a bull's head, the other one has a goat head, and they all have really creepy farm implements i mean it's it's basically a cross between a richard scary book and a rob zombie movie and yet that's precisely why i was like oh this is so stupid it's genius and then i'm on board right i'm on board and then the entire issue like i think i think it's like all this setup and then batman pretty much like batmans them in like three pages and i'm like oh that kind of well it was nice looking at i have to say that artist really knows how to draw a disturbing set of barnyard animals, you know, like, wow, that's my I, judge for a good comic these days. I know? actually wanted to ask, I, I did not continue to read it after DC stopped sending me comp copies. So <laughs> I, I have to ask. Yes. Did the stuff with the Spectre go anywhere? 
Like, last I saw the Spectre appeared, I was mm-hmm. nowhere. Yeah. I was like, so stuff's going on up Arkham, I should investigate. Which, right. I mean, really came out of nowhere. It did. It came out of nowhere, and based on my very sketchy memory, it then went nowhere. Like, the first four issues seemed like they were going in a very coherent place, I think. Oh, yeah. It, it was it was very clear. They were mm-hmm. like, we have a blood, we have a direction, this is where yeah. we're going. And then, like, it was like two issues of weirdness that I was like, oh, so this book is nuts. Yeah. And that's it. That's pretty much where this has been. It has still been, like, deep in the gutter of what the fuck. Like, there really was that point where it's like, Batman gets hunted by the cops, and he's like, well, fuck this. I've got to go to Hong Kong to see where Carmen Falcone came back from. Like, and I'm like, really? You can't just, like... Google search it? I'm pretty sure Wikipedia has an awesome entry on Hong Kong. But, like, he goes over there, and then they do that to introduce yet another new character, which is the whole, you know, Alfred's daughter, who's, like, a super secret agent type thing. Which part of me is, like, on the one hand, that's so dumb, and part of me is, like... As someone who's trained to like Chris Claremont, I'm like, oh, that's such a Chris Claremonty idea, you know? It's like, oh, here's his tough, you know, and especially because she's speaking with, like, really annoying, obvious Britishisms. In fact, I, I sort of wonder if maybe Chris Claremont isn't writing this under that's awesome yeah imagine Chris Claremont co-writing like just offering himself up being like okay today I'll be Tim Seeley yeah exactly Tim you just you can take the paycheck and everything I just kind of I just kind of want the thrill of it you know um so I just just gotta write I just a writer's gotta write a writer's gotta write man and he's gotta write a scene in which somebody gets captured kidnapped and or stabbed and still manages to end up in a hot tub before dot 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 mind control that's what a writer's gotta write (laughs) so yeah um can we just say before dot 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 mind control like is 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 chris claremont right there exactly uh thank you i kind of felt like i was like "Ah, i'm in a good sweet spot here uh yeah no batman eternal is again this in this issue where it's like I, I fucking, I read it. I don't even remember. It's like Catwoman is captured by Carmen Falcone, who's going to fuck his shit up, her shit up. But then Professor Pig shows up to fuck up Carmen Falcone's shit up. And he's got his, you know, devil's rejects of barnyard animals. And because it's drawn by Ricardo Burricelli, it all looks creepy. And then Batman comes and beats crap out of people. And manages, you know, because the cops raid, he has to jump out of there. So Carmen Falcone is saved from both elements. And Catwoman's like, hey, Carmen Falcone told me that the guy, someone told him that you were vulnerable now. And just this whole idea of like, there's someone gunning for, there's, you know, the last four issues have been at the very least like, oh, there's somebody gunning for Batman. And it looks like it's going to be super, 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 supernatural. Um, because you've got like, you know, 900 characters scattered all over the fucking place. So I don't know. It's, it's a huge mess, but like I said, this issue was kind of like a really disposable Batman comic. And I think I would have been appalled as if it had been a regular Batman comic, but there is just that element of between like, what are they going to do? What's going to happen next? You know, and them pretty much being like, well, we've got so much and we can dip into it at any point. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, 
which is which is again they've managed to turn that into a weakness. Um, so no, let me tell you, Graham. <laughs> basically, the book is off the rails at ten issues in. I don't know when it's going to go back on the rails. I don't even know why I think it would or should go back on the rails. I was going to say but... you might be a bit optimistic by thinking that it's going to it's going to go back on the rails. Oh yeah, I think so. We, we, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Because I mean, but, you, um... you've got like Commissioner Gordon going into jail and people being like, "We're gonna fuck you up, fish," and that's. I think three issues ago, four issues ago. I mean, you know, Cat- oh, that, no, that's going to be, be dead four, if not more. Yeah, because that that was happening in the issues I was reading. Oh, okay, so, so yeah, issue probably 10, issue now, six like, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Right. So just yeah, bonkers. it's nuts because they they seemed to have a very clear direction, mm-hmm. like a very clear direction, and then they seem to have forgotten about their clear direction. Well, I think they really did have that idea of I, re, reading around a little bit by the, I think, hitting Batman Eternal on the Wikipedia. It really seems like Scott Snyder was very much like, yeah, we're going to have mini arcs by the different teams with the different writers, and each one's going to kind of do his own thing, and it's going to have, like, a cumulative impact, um, which I think was his way of saying, like, yeah, I'm the showrunner, but I'm way too busy with my other stuff. And I think I think it is just, it is kind of... I've got shit to do. I've got shit to do is basically what Scott Snyder said in an interview. But trust me, this will be awesome because et cetera, et cetera stuff, he said, concluding. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because dot, 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 mind control. Mind control, exclamation point. So true. Um, yes, so thank you for asking about that. I wish I had had a quicker, more cohesive answer. Um but yeah, it's it's a hot mess. It is definitely as much of a hot mess. Let me ask you because I talked about Superman, Wonder Woman issues one through three. Um, does it? Do you, and you followed it past those first couple of issues, right? Do you feel that it's sort no? Of... I didn't. Oh, okay. I think you're getting. I think you're getting mixed up with the Batman Superman, which I followed past the first. Two oh issues. no, because that's Greg Pack. For some reason, I thought it was the Charles Sewell stuff. I don't know, but it, it it may have been since you talked well about Charles Sewell on about three or four different books. I just sort of ran them all. Yeah, through. I, I no, I I, I want to say I read like the first three issues, like you did. Mm-hmm. Maybe just the first two issues, right? Um, and I, I was, I was impressed, but I was, I think I was impressed because I was coming at it from a much lower place of expectation than you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where you go in expecting the worst and when it's not the worst, you're like, huh, I guess that was good. As opposed to when someone's like, this is good. And you read it and it's, you're, you end up right. coming away from with a, oh, that was coherent. Right. Exactly. Well, and that's true. Yeah. It definitely is coherent in a way that Batman Eternal at issue 10 is very far away from at this point. So, um, so it's four thirty. We've got an hour. We've got an hour. Yeah, should we talk about Avengers? I I think we should, and then maybe when we emerge, we can talk about some of the the other books. But I think I think if we can get the or Avengers could, talk we, on record. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say otherwise we could just list them, and then people could say, "I really want you to talk about that." Oh, uh, yeah, we could do that. Do you want to do I, that? I, well, no, I, no. After after. Oh, Avengers, I see. Afterwards, right, 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 right. I see. So got it. Has kind of uh, so yes, let's talk about Avengers, which uh, I think we both said this in the past. Uh, this is our golden era of Avengers, oh, or our first golden era, mm-hmm. because it's Steve Englehart writing yeah. the book, and yeah. that that takes it into a really weird, wonderful realm of hyper continuity that yes. is somehow not continuity porn. Yeah, yeah. I I would I would argue that. 
there is a way in which what um at least a certain stripe of hardcore Marvel fan thinks of when they think of Marvel comics is actually much closer to a Steve Englehart book, you know, because Englehart is a weird love child of Stan Lee and Roy Thomas in that he is able to take everything that Thomas wants to do and I think does it much more easily and much more naturally so that it reads way more entertainingly. Yeah. And more organically. And more, and well, exactly. And more organically. That's exactly where I think is, is the, is the solid point. You can see Thomas like connect the dots and draw attention to them. And you're kind of aware that, Oh yeah. Hey, look at this. But yeah, I I feel like what we should sort of explain right now is when we're talking about what Thomas wants to do is it's very much the, all of this fic- all of these fictional stories make sense as a coherent whole, yeah. and the place where they seem to contradict each other, they actually don't contradict each other because dot dot dot. Right. But both Thomas, he really does force it at times mm-hmm. because he he has a very set idea of like, no, it does make sense. It does. It does. Right. And he, he forces things into holes where they shouldn't go. Whereas Engelhart is, it does make sense, and they do contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And I will explain away the contradiction as opposed to I will just say that they make sense and try and convince you. Yeah. I feel I feel Engelhart really embraces the contradiction and embraces the this character is not who they were back then, but, but that's okay because characters grow and characters evolve and exactly. characters change. I, indeed. And in fact, to jump ahead from uh, all this, you know, from talking about it linearly, which I think we should do, one of my, like the panels that just struck me so hard I practically banged like a gong is in issue 136, because of the dreaded deadline doom, they throw in an issue of the Beast from Englehart's Amazing Adventures run where the Beast is practically like a prototype Wolverine. You know, he's like barely got his humanity under control. He's got a super fast metabolism that is rehealing him like crazy. Um, he's you know, completely tortured, you know, but it's also one half kind of the classic uh, Incredible Hulk setup of like, he's got a secret identity, he's screwed up his own life, and he has to figure out how to fix it. And meanwhile, he's learning, he's feeling that he's losing control of his entire humanity. It's, and then you see him in issue 137, where basically in one big panel, he says, yeah, I decided I just dropped out, smoked a lot of weed, and then eventually I got better. You know what I mean? Like he just says, I read some Castaneda and I listened to some Stevie Wonder and I watched a lot of movies. And then eventually, without even trying to, like, I got a better sense of perspective on the world. You know, I just found that remarkable. It was kind of a little bit like you were saying about the transition that Ben Grimm makes as the thing from ultra haunted hated and hateful outcast to basically everybody's buddy ben Grimm. you know it's like yeah yeah except except uh i feel that you see that on the page over a number of years whereas it really is just like no he he had some time out out, and he chilled off 
Yeah, he chilled out. And the thing that I think is great is is that it really is a complete and different. It, it, like you said, it is literally a belief in growth. Like there's a little bit of that, like, oh, it doesn't, you know, that some people might feel that this completely contradicts one another, you know, but in fact, it's, it's just fine. And it's interesting to me in a way that for, for me, it really depends on if your new take works, I'm much more inclined to buy it because it kind of made me think a little bit of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye in a way, in the sense that Matt Fraction's Hawkeye is not the Hawkeye that was appearing in Avengers for all these years. Not even not oh. in the years that we're reading, you know. Yeah, um, not, not not in the slightest. But, yeah. but you want to accept it. Yeah, you just you accept it because it is there is the tone that the character has is so assured and and works so well in the context of what they're doing. So having said that, let's just jump back. But I have to say, keep an eye out. I don't know if anyone's tracking. I threw a few things up on the Wait What Tumblr um, to, to extensive silence. But my, my goal is to try and throw stuff that I'm reading, at least digitally, take screenshots of stuff that I like and throw it up there. And so that panel of the beast talking about basically getting his shit together by just chilling out is uh was was incredibly um just just really curtwanged with me you know yeah so uh i'm also going to say wait what pods.tumblr.com yeah wait what pod.tumblr.com you also of course had that amazing um brave and the bold bob haney page which both uh made me laugh very hard and also made me worry that you were doing a great Bob Haney reread without me. Cause I think that's, that's something that I would, I would want to no, be. Part it's, of. it's, it's because someone on Twitter and I can't even remember who, uh, did Batman takes the state. I think it was Al Ewing actually mm-hmm. said Batman takes the state. And I was like, Oh wait. And also I'm going to have to interrupt our Avengers talk right now. Cause it just reminded me, um, I was in uh, Excalibur comics yesterday, mm-hmm. books. And someone and their name has entirely gone, and I am so apologetic. But someone, while I'm talking to the owner of the store, goes, "Do you do a podcast?" No. Do you do wait what? It was amazing. I really forgot. I'm really sorry. I forgot your name. I feel really, really bad. I was in the. It was one of those things where I was in the middle of a conversation, and you know, I was so honestly startled that someone said that to me. But it was great. Jeff, that is fantastic, man. I know. So, um, whoever you are, please go to waitwhatpodcast.com and leave uh, your name or in the comments or email me or something. Yeah. Because Drop I us a mail at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. I, and I really do want to send you a mail. So, so yes. Uh, I just want to tell you that. So, wow. And I can't remember who. I suddenly thought, oh, there's someone else I can't remember who that I meant to tell you about. Spectacular. It really was, Jeff. It made my day. I can't tell you. That much. is fantastic. That that makes my day. Um, okay, so let's get back to it. Let's wind it back. Why, why, why should we go? Uh, but should we talk about it by numbers? Should we jump in with the Avengers Defenders War, which is like an issue one fifteen? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Let Let's do it by like arcs as opposed to numbers. Okay. Uh, because you know, if we start at one fourteen, there's a couple of issues of filler, for want of a better way. Yes. Yeah. Although his feet beneath him. 
Yeah. Well, actually, of course, he he gets it pretty quick. But interestingly enough, because I re-looked, tried looking at all this stuff before we talked and was driving myself insane. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is issue 114, which is an, is a one-shot that seems like an enormous filler issue. And is also Engelhart doing his whole, like, oh, the swordsman's back, but is he back for nefarious reasons? He more or less does the fake-out storyline that makes you think yes, but then no. One of the things that I liked about it, rereading it, is is that the issue really, most of the main scenes that happen are about Scarlet Witch, the Vision, Swordsman, and Mantis, which is entirely appropriate because they are the engines that end up driving the next 30 issues. Well, really round down a little bit, let's say 25 issues of the book. And so even though it seems like an annoying one shot, it establishes the characters of each of them and their relationships sort of to each other as a status quo, which he then rapidly begins to start turning. So, mm-hmm. and, a, yeah, he actually sets up a bunch with 114. Yeah, which uh, seems like a throwaway issue, but is in fact really gives you a sense of like uh, Engelhart. The other thing that stuns me is he walks into this book with a long game in mind. And one of the things that's an absolute pleasure is seeing how some of the things pay off that you realize are subplots that he's been developing for something like two plus years, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing. When you look back at one fourteen, having essentially read all of Engelhart's run, mm-hmm. you have this idea of like, Oh, he planted the seeds for all of this with his first issue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing that he, and I don't know if he, he is playing a long game as much as he's just uh, improvising really well. Mm, maybe. I don't, maybe. The... I, I, yeah, I, I genuinely don't know which one it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, a part of me is also, part of me really feels like, did he really go on to Avengers? Because that point, that must have been like his second regular series or third, maybe after Captain America. Yeah. Um. And think I'm going to be here for years. <laughs> I've got a great idea for my story. Yeah. Or was he really just like, you know, I have a I have a really short term plan that maybe I can extend if I get the chance, and he just got the chance. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I personally think that to me it feels like a long term because well, let's go through it. I suppose so. Let's let's talk a little bit about the Avengers Defenders War, which is basically Avengers versus. AVX of 1973. Um, <laughs> wow, that that really sells it. <laughs> I know, not very generous. I'm like, except I love it, you know? I mean, it is very much, and again, uh, another thing, it's funny that we mentioned more. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating to me is Avengers versus Defend, the Avengers Defenders War is to me a very Engelhart very savvily figuring out how to marvelize, you know, what is basically a Silver Age, JLA, JSA story. Yes, yes. You know, uh, I, or not, I'm not even sure it's a JSA, JLA story, mm-hmm. um, but he's definitely doing a Justice League because the splitting the team into smaller sub teams. Yeah. Is is Justice League right? Uh, and the way that the, even the chapters are broken out with the logos of the characters in each one, exactly, it's very Justice League as well. Yeah, um, it's 
it's actually an incredibly well-constructed crossover. And mm-hmm. it might have been like the first proper crossover, right? Am I completely imagining that? I think it is. Well, I see, that's it. I... Like, like the first right. constructed to be a crossover crossover. Because, you know, before that you had the Zatanna storyline through DC books in the 60s. Right. Um... It, it really depends on how you define it. Cause I feel like, again, Thomas, Roy Thomas being Thomas, he has dipped his toes into these waters before, especially with like, for example, an Avengers X-Men crossover that I'm sure you remember from back in the mid eighties or something like that with Magneto and stuff. It is both simultaneously much less ambitious and much less interesting than what you see here, which really is breaking out. And again, part of the reason why I think of the JLA JSA comparison, because I, I don't really think there's as many, um, you know, the JLA JSA stuff tends to be super self-contained. Um, but also, but I think it's similar in the sense of there is affection and knowledge of every character. And I feel like Englehart is really aware of as a fan, like what he wants to see in some of these fights or, you know, and, or what he wants to, um, how he thinks of the characters. So when you have the Silver Surfer fighting, say, uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch, he's playing off of the idea that the Silver Surfer and the, and the Vision have certain things that make them very similar, you know, John Basima designs, like the, the idea of the characters as outsiders, you know, they're sort of non-traditional approach to problem solving, but then he figures out a way to sort of, you know, to also incite things so that you get the big Marvel punch them up, you know? Mm-hmm. I, but it's also what I really like about that pairing is it's the two characters who are, uh, in theory, unemotional but in practice are the most melodramatically exactly, emotional yes. right and he's aware of that like, as well exactly yeah exactly and, he, and he very yeah. much plays mm-hmm. towards that the mm-hmm. idea that you know the readers would go in expecting it to be almost a dry you know clinical thing right and instead both these characters are like you can't do that right i exactly. will leave at you how could you say that <laughs> exactly Exactly. He must not have it. And then Silver Surfer's <laughs> like, is this being insane? <laughs> oh, I have it's, to, but it's, it's yeah. so great. It is. It's all the parts. In fact, I have to point out that uh, issue 117 is one of the first Avengers comics that I had as a kid. Like super, super, super young. And that must have sold you. Cause, I mean, that's, that. it, it really oh, yeah. is. It's, it's, it's when people think about Silver Age Marvel, I kind of think they're actually thinking about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, yeah, because it's very much, to me, just even the thing that you have a crazy, the Swordsman versus the Valkyrie thing, which, again, should be dry as dirt, and it's drawn by Bob Brown, who is not really remembered as one of the giants of the field. Um, Although and, he does some fucking great art in this. Does he? He really he does. Is, yeah, he's, he's got some stuff in forgotten. it. He's forgotten. Yeah. He really is forgotten. Yeah. But you look, like, there's panels in here, and he's just, 
He's great. Well, I mean, he's really great stuff. He's really good. There is. There's some great stuff. And, in fact, I love his – just the idea that they are having, like, a super swords fight, you know, and it's got them doing all the the tropes of, like, they're sliding down banisters while sword fighting and jumping from curtain to curtain and, you know, and and just kicking things out from one another – it's incredibly fantastic and dynamic. I have to say, because I was reading this at such an early age, part of me was like, oh, my God, like, this stuff is like, are these panels burned into my brain? And one of the things that I thought was interesting is like, oh, no, Bob Brown, bless his heart, use swipes very extensively from himself. So if you go and look at Bob Brown's run on Daredevil, for example, you can see how he reuses so many of the same um uh postures of the characters he's actually like retracing the same figures but he's also built up a pretty extensive library of stuff that like when it works it works great and generally this stuff really does it haul ass you know especially yeah, yeah. in the avengers defenders war i think it's only at the end where you get the big finish where he's he's basically given a circular, you know, credits page shout out for his work where he is I mean, it just seems like an insane issue for any one artist to draw, you know, in terms of the number of cameos, appearances, super high stakes, monsters, shield agents losing their shit on the streets of Los Angeles type stuff that you're you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's like any artist's gift to be able to draw that stuff. On the other hand, the idea that you've got like, you know, three weeks to turn it in before it hits the stands or whatever is insane. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It it really is absolutely crazy. But I think Brown is really, I really like his facial work. Yes. His, fa- his facial work seems to be a mix of... Of Buscemas, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm seeing John Butt Sal in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's kind of, it is. It's kind of all over the place. And it is. It's enjoyable. It's expressive. Even when he is sort of swiping the same panels for it, you don't, you don't, you're not confused as to who you're looking at. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I enjoyed that stuff all the way through. It's worth pointing out, I think, for me that issue 118, which is the wrap up, uh, has letters from Rob Rohde, who goes on to become a comics writer, and Ralph Macchio who I think I mentioned is a big Englehart Avengers fan and a huge fan of Mantis. His name pops up in a bunch of letters columns, and I think it's really fascinating seeing him be so obsessed with Mantis. And then, and then I don't know, kind of becoming like one of Marvel's like preeminent editors for such a long period of time, you know? It's just it's Yeah, exactly. Really it's, it's, it's funny to think. Mm-hmm. Do you know, it's, it's funny to be like, oh, they were complete fanboys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, if you peruse the letters pages of the of the of these fifty issues of Avengers, you you know Dean Mullaney pops up in here. You know Ralph Macchio. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. There's a few other ones where I was just like, wow, that person goes on to become an, a, a big name. You know, a lot of other letter. But also, it makes sense because if you think about it, this is this is what was happening back then. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, I mean, like, this this really was. This was the exciting shit. It, and it still is for me. I mean, this really was just, even even when Englehart produces a stinker throughout in these runs, I, I'm I'm still so incredibly entertained as opposed to just kind of like, ugh. You well, know. also, like, 
uh, Engelhardt's writing, Engelhardt's plots are uneven. I think it's fair to say that. Yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Engelhardt's uh, style, for want mm-hmm. of a better way of putting it, it's so charming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his captions are his his omniscient omniscient narrator mm-hmm. captions mm-hmm. Uh, are weirdly they somehow take the chumminess of Stan Lee right and the uh, purple prose to get back to that yes. of of Thomas mm-hmm. and combine them into this weird hybrid that really is just endlessly charming and readable yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so all you're like, very you know, I'm I'm not I'm not interested in this plot, but at the same time, I'm kind of down with reading this comic because it's fun. Yeah, well, and I don't know. For me, I always feel like, for the most part, when Engelhart's plots fall apart, it's just because the guy. Um, it it's it's the to me again. He gets it's usually that he gets over ambitious and he's trying to jam too much in, but. So, so that for me is the easiest sin to forgive. The other thing that I think you mentioned that I think is a great point is, is that Englehart also really has a, not only does he have his omniscient, omniscient voice, but the, the nice thing is, is that all of his characters for, he has a sense of what all the characters sound like and they don't just sound like the same person talking four times, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really nice. I mm-hmm. mean, he does have the, um, he has stock characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, like, you can definitely see similarities between his I Am Captain America shouting orders and I Am Nick Fury shouting orders. Yeah. Uh, or his Silver Surfer and his, his Doctor Strange. They're, you yes. know, there's, there's definitely crossovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's enough variation. Yeah. 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 That, that you, that you, that it works essentially. Right. Yeah, there's some stuff that's well. I guess it's the later. Well, we'll get we'll get to it. So yeah, I I adore that stuff. It's also interesting to me that the end of the Avengers: Defender War, when Loki goes mad, I was like, oh, that's such a great way to sort of incapacitate a villain, I suppose. You know, to get put him out of the picture. Until I realized how incredibly standard it was for marvel villains at a certain stage you know and it's not i didn't really realize it until you cut to the um the wedding of quicksilver and crystal and you realize maximus the mad has gone catatonic and mad that uh, the green goblin has gone mad and is catatonic that dr doom is soon to go mad and catatonic and like fantastic four 200 admittedly a long ways away from here at this point but i was kind of like no, but but it, but it is a very um it's a very graceful way to mm-hmm. move them off stage temporarily yeah exactly Just rather like, than pretending I, yeah. mm-hmm. you're, you're not dead mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. you're but you're also not a threat but right. you can get better Right. And, and frankly, that's one of the things that I do love about Inglehart is, is that this is, I really like his handling of Thor actually throughout all this stuff, which ends up being a part that builds to the end of his, his for the end of his storyline. But Thor is actually a pretty compassionate dude throughout much of Inglehart's run. And the fact that he is, um, I mean, it's not surprising. It seems something straight, straight out of, of a regular Thor comic that Loki goes mad and Thor's first 
thought is like, okay, I have to take care of him. I have to make sure he ends up someplace. But I was actually, for whatever reason, perhaps it's just, you know, me being, you know, nostalgized or whatever. I was kind of touched by the way in which one of the points of the very next issue, which again, seems like a one-off of them facing the collector in, in another appearance of the Rutland Vermont Halloween parade is a like, Oh, and this is, this is where Loki ends up. This is where yeah, the, the ending of that issue is, is very uh, touching. Yeah. Exactly. Because, and it's, because you don't, you don't, you kind of think that the appearance of Loki at the beginning of the issue where Thor essentially says, he's my brother and I have to take care of him, he can't take care of himself, yeah. is just there as like wrap up and continuity from the previous issue. Because yeah. it's not really mentioned again until the very end of the issue. Yes. And, but there's something about, again, Thor just seems very kind. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel in recent years the relationship between Thor and Loki has become, um, Almost impersonal. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. There's this weird, like, I can't trust you as far as I can throw you, but you're my brother, so I kind of love you, that you don't really read as love. And you yeah. don't really read as as the genuine... Uh, like, if you imagine that was actually true, if you imagine mm-hmm. that that was actually the case, that they were brothers, and that one of them was always fucking the other one over, right? but the other one kind of knew that to an extent, it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, Thor should be amazingly conflicted. Yes. Every single time he deals with Loki. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. And you don't get that. You get this weird thing where he's like, like he'll say, oh, I don't know what to do with you. But it's done in such a way that you never really get the emotional impact of, yeah. this has got to be really fucking hard. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and with this issue, you get the idea that Thor is actually... Thor genuinely feels responsible for his brother. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a few little throwaway touches, but it's, you know, Thor is such the, um, having reread a bunch of the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff, uh, Thor tends to be characterized as such a, um, kind of, you know, kind of a hard ass, you know, he's kind of your traditional Stanley, like what I'm, you know, suffering under the burdens of the world, but, you know, but throw something at me and I'm indefatigable because, you know, I have to win because it's the most important thing and I will never give up kind of stuff. Um, and the Thor that pops up in the Avengers is actually a remarkably big hearted and sentimental person, I suppose. You know, in the sense of he has genuine affection for most of the Avengers. And for the most part, he's really willing to cut them slack much sooner than other members of the team are. And a classic example of that is with the stuff with Swordsman. You know, on the one hand, he wasn't around when Swordsman betrayed the team like once or twice or whatever. But basically, all he needs is like half an issue of him doing good deeds. And he's like, okay. You know, he kind of wants to believe the best in everybody, which is perhaps part of the reason why Loki continues to kind of trip him up as time goes on. So, yeah, it was just it's just a little but weird also, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's this kind of speaks to one of um, Engelhart's strengths, mm-hmm. which is I feel that he thinks through characters in a way that a lot of writers at the time just weren't doing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, and so he comes up with. Uh, not even new takes on the character, mm-hmm. but 
insights that other writers might have hinted at but never really explored. So you get a very um, kind Thor, which makes sense if you consider Thor is A, older than all these guys. Yes. And B, is a god. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, he, he should feel some level of responsibility and affection mm-hmm. for these mortals that he's hanging out with. A, because why else would he hang out with them? Exactly. But exactly. B, also, he has the experience to, he has a depth of experience that really is kind of, you know, Oh, these guys. Right. There you exactly. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, there is a, there is a letter. It's in the early 120s and I should have, I should have mentioned it in my notes where someone is writing in and talking about how much they appreciate the reference in Avengers Defenders War where Iron Man comes up against a mystical barrier that Doctor Strange has put up. And even after Doctor Strange says that he's cast a spell, Iron Man refers to it as like a a repulsor field or something like that, a a force field. And uh, essentially this character wrote in and was like, I think that it's really great that you have Iron Man being such a technological guy that even in the face of magic, he can't quite believe it. And he's just chalks it up to a technology that he can't understand. And Engelhart's like, yeah, you know, and it's interesting because the letters pages are written, I'm assuming written and chosen by Steve Englehart, but always talk about himself in the third person. So it's, it's ridiculous and weird because of course the, the parts where, you know, he's trying to praise himself, but not like be too overly, um, obvious about it or really amusing reading. But he does talk about the fact he's like, yeah, you know, sit down, I I write out notebooks full of the psychology of these characters, just trying to understand the psychology of, of what makes them different and, and who they are. And it's, it's probably part of the reason why, um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like, it's back to that thing of like, oh, right. This is the Captain America. I like, this is the, the, the Captain America. That's the dickhead that seems to pop up everywhere all the time in Marvel comics that I had never noticed before now is the Captain America that pops up in, in, you know, Steve Englehart books. And it's great to me that in the Avengers Englehart, and this is why I feel like his long-term plans or whatever, he's always weaving in Captain America at various stages of Captain America's story to clue you in, into what's going on. And on the one hand, that could just be blatant, like, ooh, I've teased my character, like, go buy my book. Exactly, know? yeah. Check out what I'm doing in the other comic. Yeah, exactly. But he always, I feel like he always puts that character in there at just the right point. Like, he's yes, always yeah, in at, right at, before. At, at, at a point where you're like, oh, this kind of makes sense and also adds something to what he's doing with the rest of the characters. Exactly. Yeah, he never, he never yeah. just throws them in for a... Hey guys, I'm nomad now. Right, right. You know, exactly. asterisk. Yeah. Find out why in Cap's book. Right. Um, or, or even when he does pop up as nomad, one of the things that makes it more than just a, um, pure blurb is the fact that he popped up like whatever it is, six issues, ten issues earlier, and is like, that's it. I can't be Captain America anymore. And that happens well, in the issue also, where Black Panther leaves, which makes a lot. Yeah, of but sense. also, yeah, when he shows up as nomad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it like it it does things for the other characters. Yes, I mean exactly. like it it unlocks elements for the other characters. That, That's that, right. That really 
play off and then go on to play into other things. It's not just a generic like, why is Gab Nomads going by Gab and Falcon? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, People react to what he's doing and saying when he's there, which is terrific. Getting, getting back to Engelhart playing the long game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, it's very difficult to imagine what reading this is would be like at the time they were coming out for me. Right. Because I know the Mantis story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's definitely a point where, like, because Mantis and Swordsman are in there for a long time without that being an element. And yes. they're really, I, I'm just imagining that the fans then really must have thought, oh, Swordsman's really joined the team. You're right. Like, Sor- Swordsman is genuinely part of the team now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, except it's that thing of you also have to keep in mind, even by a monthly book, by the time he bites it, uh, you know, he bites it in basically issue 129 and he joins, they rejoin like before, 114. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a year and a half of him on the team in that sense. Exactly. So, you know? so, I mean, you can only imagine and it's not just your half of them on the team. Right. It's your half of them on the team and getting significant focus. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The focus that they get and then watching. This is the thing that I love is, is like, very rapidly on, like in the, uh, that you get the insane Zodiac story, which again, poorly plotted is all shit and filled with just, even by comic book standards, insane ideas, just insane fucking who the fuck was that high that they thought that, oh yeah, of course the Avengers are going to break into this warehouse. And of course the, the warehouse is actually a starship that has been designed to be shot into space you know, that sort of level of things, you know, but at the same time, Engelhart is like, okay, I'm going to get this love quadrangle going, you know, it's like, I've got reasons why suddenly, you know, Mantis thinks the vision is the best and you see swordsmen just come apart. And that's the other thing I think is interesting is like, there's that idea of like, is swordsman going to be a bad guy is like, Oh no, he's a good guy. And then it's like when he loses his shit, you know, from issues like from the star stalker issue on, he is, he's, he's got a huge question mark floating over his head, which really is kind of a, like how pathetic are they going to have this guy get? And it leads up, of course, to Giant Size Avengers number two and and issue 129 of Swords. I remember reading issue 129, um, I, and we should probably jump back because I know it's skipping ahead. But the Swordsman has basically turned into kind of a pathetic mess. You know, he's like, he's literally cried on the Scarlet Witch's shoulder, which I mean, even by superhero standards, you know what I mean? Of the time, it's like, Wow, that's really, I know that Steve Englehart is like a, a very um, liberal dude, but I do not think that he wants us to see the swordsman like actually weeping and being comforted by the, the Scarlet Witch as something we're supposed to be impressed with his access to his, you know, vulnerable, vulnerable side, you know, um, when he gets to oh, issue. Oh, no, no, you're, cle- you're clearly meant to feel that the yeah. swordsman has fallen apart. He's fallen apart. And so when he hits bottom, one of the things that I think is great about Giant Size Avengers number two, and because even in issue 129, like 
where he is on his own. He fights his way into that tomb. There's some uh, weird, amazing meta stuff where he starts talking like Conan as he's fighting the, the creature in the crypt. Um, which again, I think is a little bit of, of, of Englehart sitting down and trying to flesh out the guy's psychology, but also sort of making the swordsman kind of be like, kind of like, oh, he's a fanboy. You know, he is, he ultimately at the core of it, and it's this weird level of like, are we, are you pushing, is Englehart pushing for the subliminal audience identification with the swordsman by having him find out where it's like he's fighting this thing and he's thinking about the Conan paperbacks that he read as a kid to the point where he even yells out, you know, by Crom when he like stabs this creature. And, and then of course he fails to kill it and it almost kills him. And he only escapes like by a miracle. Um, like, are we supposed to be identifying with that character or is that the point where we're really supposed to be rejecting this character? Cause I, I really feel like what Englehart does is a great job of like us being like, oh, this guy, like, no. And then by the end of Giant Size Avengers, you, you know, it, when he actually does die, you, I was so like, um, I really felt for the guy. It's one of those endings where the pathos that they're, the, the melodrama, the pathos they're trying to push at the end, really felt pretty earned for a change for comic books. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, this guy, he really did lose, but he lost in a way that was a winner so much more impressively than that Harlan Ellison Avengers story that tried to do the same thing, you know, a bajillion issues earlier. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think a lot of that is because he really did play the long game. Mm -hmm. You're like, you've you've really been there to see him at his best and then at his worst. Right. And throughout the whole thing, when you've seen him fall apart, you've seen why he's fallen apart and why he's fallen apart is, is very easy to empathize with. Mm-hmm. He's fallen apart because he's, he's in love with, you know, for one of a better way of putting it, the person he shouldn't be in love with. Right. And, and someone who was very, very bad for him mm-hmm. on a, on a simple level, not through any fault of her own either. Like it's it's not that Mantis is actually actively trying to destroy him, but she has destroyed him. Right. Isn't it kind of interesting? I feel like it's fascinating to me to watch the way in which Englehart A wants to write female characters, B wants to write female characters like they're very different from one another, but sort of in that same way that we sort of talk about it's one of those areas where his 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 reach out exceeds his grasp. You know what I mean? Like, because I think, I feel like he is, like, I'm writing very, like, very multivalent female characters. They all come off as incredibly bitchy, though. Don't you, yes, don't you feel? Yes, he, he, he really does have a problem with um, his idea of independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes across as incredibly uh, aggressive and mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and which 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 really does become a problem because you then have uh, it's very difficult to sort of see why anyone would want to spend time with the characters. Right. Right. Well, and, what, and you and so you have characters be like, "I am so in love with Wanda." Right. And Wanda is just like, "Fuck you for that." <laughs> And instead of being like, you are, you know, you know your mind, Wanda, you really are just like, hang on there, Wanda. Right, exactly. Like, really, 
you're kind of overreacting being a bit of a dick. Yeah. And it's, and you really do feel that, you know, he's got the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. But, but his, again, his, his execution is, it's, is sadly lacking. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so too, which is, which kind of is a shame because it, it is ambitious and it really does put a lot of, I don't know. There, you know, again, I feel like there's a lot of groundwork here that, that, that later writers like Chris Claremont are really able to kind of go to town on, you know, and develop in, in, take, take a lot of the same sort of ideas and motifs or interests, but, but go there without the weird, shrillish, shrewish kind of one step backwards approach to, to female characterization because it's it's clearly super super important to him and it's it's really super important to the way that the whole celestial madonna storyline is supposed to play out and yet <laughs> there is a little bit of the ridiculously reductive thinking on Englehart's part where he's like okay who's the celestial madonna going to be wait a minute it can't be the whore because you know she was a whore, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. There, there really is a terrible, like, in showing how enlightened he is. Yeah, it just shows the opposite. Exactly. It's like you yeah. get it. She's the whore. Right. Waka waka waka. <laughs> and when Mantis first appears as well, like mm-hmm. when Mantis is like, "I am not being Mantis," you know, yeah. when she has her slips back into, "Who am I?" Like his pre-Celestial Bodonis, pre-Mantis. Mantis mm-hmm. is amazingly offensive. Yeah, is it really <laughs> it's is like astoundingly offensive? And you get like you understand that his point is, you know, anyone can be enlightened. You know, yes, you should you should not judge. But his way of doing it is hilariously full of him yeah, being just, like, just so but look at her, she's just a dumb whore, right? Exactly. It's a who would have thought that somebody who was clearly a simple-minded seller of sex in the back gutters of Vietnam was like, really? Wow, this is really reductive and racist. No, 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 it gets better, and it really doesn't. So, but but uh, the other thing is, it's funny to think about that in context and like historical context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like in a weird way, he was still being progressive. Like that's no. how low. That's, yeah, how, that's low how low the bar, the bar was set. No, absolutely. No, I agree. And this is something that we've talked about before. And it's so, cause you have, there's a ton, I, and again, Englehart, I'm sure is doing the, the writing behind the scenes and picking the letters for his letter columns. But there are, Janice Hollingsworth is like a regular correspondent. It's one of the few sort of regular female letter hacks that you, that I've seen anyway from Marvel. Um, and there's a lot of women who write in who have very strong, you know, who are very definitely a responding to the storylines and B, I think are definitely like are so much happier to see a bit, a bitch than, than a milksop at that stage that they're just like, yeah, let Wanda fight for her man, you know, because I think they're really tired of, at that point, sort of, you know, the Sue Storm Invisible well, Woman syndrome. But that's just it. Like, before Englehart came on with this yeah. admittedly reductive portrayal, right? the women in the Marvel Universe were, he's so dreamy, why doesn't he notice me? Right. The end. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. end. Yeah. 
like yeah, yeah, yeah. the the whole yellow jacket Hank Pym thing where Hank Pym has a fucking nervous breakdown, creates a second personality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, come on. That are, is, that is, no, you are picking are, the, yeah, no, no, We no, no, are no. supposed to believe yeah. that the Wasp is smart enough to work that out, but then goes along with it anyway because, and I quote, it's the only way she could marry him. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Like, holy motherfucking shit. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Things so, are so in really, a sad state. Yeah, Angle no. Hart's mm-hmm. terrible, terrible portrayal right. is a step forward. Oh, absolutely. I agree. It's just, and I think that's fantastic, but I think that despite our ridiculous, you know, and I mean, we've still got, we've got eight minutes, maybe a little longer, with, that I can gladly, like, praise this stuff to the skies. I'm well aware that even as great and entertaining as it is, part of the way in which you have to give the storyline a certain benefit of the doubt. And it's a shame because of its progressive for the time, but terrifying for our time comparison. It doesn't, some of the, some of the storyline points don't congeal as well as you would like. Some of the, some of the internal soap opera drama doesn't ring. It doesn't even necessarily ring as effective melodrama. It just sort of seems like, you know, unless you just imagine that, that this, the, that these issues are being guest written by Charles Bukowski and everyone is screamingly drunk, you know, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So uh, when when you said that, it literally just gave you like a head turn, like, well, <laughs> um, because we have eight minutes. Um, yes. I want to say really quickly, when we talked about this last time in passing, mm-hmm. I made a comment about uh, in these issues is one of my favorite drawings of the Scarlet Witch ever. It is panel two of page three of Avengers 126. 126. Everyone, yeah. yeah. Everyone who has access to these issues on Marvel Unlimited, uh, go and look at that now. Or, or, or the sure, JT. I'm sure we're. I'm sure we're going to put a screen cap up on um, on waitwhatpodcast.com. We sure are but because you're going to have to. Talk. It is. It is. Um, it is Wanda pouting at a photograph of the Vision. Yes, and it is. I mean, it's just. It's such a great drawing. It's such yeah. a great drawing. So let's talk a little bit about this because in the middle of this, the art runs the gamut. You've got Bob Brown. You've got Bob Brown being inked by Don Heck. You've got Bob Brown inked by Dave Cockrum. You've got John Basima inked by Dave Cockrum. Suddenly there's Sal Basima being inked by Joe Statton. Then you're back to Cockrum. The stuff where you get Cockrum in there doing the inks, his, he, 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 he likes women. He likes drawing women. He likes drawing the expressions in their faces. So there are so many great shots. The, that stuff that you talk about is very much to me, very cockramy, as is the way that he draws Mantis in a way that I think is, you know, fantastic considering she's got the weirdest haircut ever. Um, you know, but yeah, actually Wait, Mantis has the weirdest haircut ever. She's got like a beehive with like those two antenna things sticking up. You know what I mean? Like she really does look like. I, I... I honestly feel that you could you could, could do not, worse. Like, oh no, yes, Wanda's hair in that issue, Jeff. I, no, Wanda's hair makes a lot of. Again, by the time you get Cockrum in it, and again, this is my thing. Like, depending on who you've got working on it, 
it can go all to hell. Like, I mean, okay. So look at that. So look at that panel where she's like scowling at the vision, which is great. And then you see that shot of Mantis. Of her Okay. Like right, yeah. the panel right below where it's like, yes, yes, y- you know, it's her imagined memory of Vision and, and Mantis. Mantis has a bun on her head. You know what I mean? And she's got those antenna. It makes sense for the character design because, yes, praying Mantis. But come on. That woman looks like the most insane hairdresser from 1974 ever. And to me, Wanda is very much this idea of like, the woman's got a lot of hair. She's got to pile it up in some crazy ways behind. That's part of what the whole crazy hat is all about. Totally works for me. Totally works for me. God. But Dave, so when Dave Cockrum's on there, I did want to talk about issue 125, which is the single issue Thanos. Well, war- the Thanos tie-in, which yeah. is nuts. Beautiful. To me, it is the space battle in the Kree scroll, scroll war, like, revisited but done right jammed into one issue and basically is start you know totally manages to preface star wars before it ever comes out because that double page spread of the avengers and again this is this is Englehart either playing the long game or just being really smart about his continuity the avengers fly into space with the quinjet and the zodiac ship that they have had for three storylines now or two storylines or something which also came back in the star stalker storyline they've got the zodiac starship where you know and it's basically star wars they're shooting stars out ships out of the sky but that double page spread of them flying at that fleet and that fleet flying at them ah and then it's amazing it's It's amazing just again caught there's something very cockrumy about it. Absolutely. There's something very to the point where you're like, I wonder if Prisemo is just like, oh, you you just times all this double page spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it. I think Cockrum really is so ambitious um, and so detail oriented. So that issue, it looks fabulous. All the aliens look properly Starlin esque. Um, you know, but you've, you've got the action scenes are like great. And then just the shots, just the shots of the people's faces. They just, to me, it's like the best, you know, here you've had John Basima, like this is his third or fourth go round on the Avengers. Super, super brief, just maybe doing someone a favor and it looks gorgeous. And so much of that I do feel is Cockrum, um, who loves jamming himself into scene sequences. Did you notice that there's the, at one point, the Thanos, one of Thanos's ships gets shot out of the sky, falls to earth, crashes into a building and, and basically almost crushes a bunch of people in front of the marquee for deep throat. <laughs> I didn't notice the marquee for deep throat. Yeah. Look at that. No, it totally is. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, and again, part of me has that little moment of like, ah, that's, that's the sort of cockrumy stuff that I love. I mean, this is sort of, to me, like, I remember, like, I, I think I fell in love with the the new X-Men in, like, I think it's Uncanny X-Men issue 98, where they're all going, they're, they're Rockefeller Center, and they're, and they're, yeah, um, the, yes, and they're, they're, it's the Christmas one, and they run into Stan and Jack in the, in the restaurant. Stan and Jack's in the restaurant. Chris Claremont and his girlfriend. Dave oh, uh, yeah. Are, and his are, girlfriend. Are, are, they're in the splash, aren't they? Yeah. Exactly. I think Clark Kent and Lois Lane end up like uh, somewhere in the background. It's just, it's kind of, to me, it's that perfect, like, 
dream of New York as like the city where anything can happen, you know, and also just kind of by, uh, you know, by extension, the new X-Men was going to be a book where just anything could happen. And it was kind of great. I do miss Cockrum's affection for just his affection. You know what I mean? Like his, his a very soppy sentimental affection that is sort of similar to George Perez in the sense of like, I'm going to draw every character, but I'm going to draw them the way they would want themselves to be drawn. You know, his inability to unfortunately hit those deadlines. Like by the time he's off Uncanny X-Men and John Byrne comes in, John Byrne is a very different concept of affection and sentimentality than Dave Cockrum. You know, and just looking back and seeing these issues, I'm like, when it works, you get a double page spread that, like I said, feels like Star Wars to me, like four or five years before Star Wars ever comes out. So, um, I think that's where we should leave it, since we have pretty much run out of time, even though we have made it literally 11 issues. (laughs) (laughs) I knew, I knew I shouldn't have let us talk about other things. Oh my god, there's so much. Okay, well, we'll talk about it, like, what, I don't know, is it next time where we'll read through 150 and we'll come back and we'll do the second half of this? Yes. Because there is so much more, God help you, Graham, that I want to talk about and I'm so glad you're game for talking about. Because this stuff (laughs) is amazing. This is like, this is also like the great stuff as well. This is it. This is everything that when you and I like said we were going to do it, I was like, well, at least there's going to be this and it's going to be great to revisit. And yeah, literally like there's this and there's the Stern stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's that's Avengers for me. Right. You, you right. have Engelhartron, you have Stern stuff. And that is it. Well, it's interesting because I've got a little bit of the it'll be interesting for me, you know, when we hit 150, there's a weird transition time with Jerry Conway that is longer than I think. I always think it's a couple of issues. It's a little bit longer. And then when Jim Shooter comes in, uh, it, it really does become its own thing. Something that I did appreciate in some ways, but very different. And in some ways, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see the way in which my my secret quote unquote theory is that the 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 tension and the dynamics between Jim Shooter's Avengers and Steve Englehart's Avengers is kind of what makes the book ping pong back and forth at least through issue three hundred, but we'll see. Huh. Well now that you've said that, I think it's something we have to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Interesting. Interesting. But, um, yeah, okay. Well, so guess what, everybody? Uh, we still have, I guess we have enough time to briefly talk about the, uh, just list the other books that we've read so that. Sure, let, let's yeah. list them super quick. Um, Umbral issue six, mm-hmm. Mighty Avengers issue 10 and 11. Mm. Uh, Fuse issue four, Batman and Frankenstein 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, a whole mess of, uh, Valiant titles. Uh, Shadow Man, End Times issue one, X Man of War 25. Eternal Warrior number eight, mm-hmm. uh, Harbinger number twenty-three, Ray number one, Bloodshot number twenty-two, Archer and Armstrong number twenty, Quantum Woody number ten, Unity number seven, uh, Magnus Robot Fighter number four, uh, like I said, the uh, X-Men No More Humans and Amazing Spider-Man Family Business graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, digitally. 
Big Trouble in Little China, number one. Dead Letters, number three. Empty Man, number one. Lumberjanes, number three. Mm. Uh, The Woods, number two. Uh, Starlight, number four. Shutter, number three. And at some point, we have to talk about Shutter again. Yes. Um, Shutter, number three, I really want to talk about with you. Last couple of issues of 2018. And I really hope you read this, Jeff. uh, That's because you're a robot. Yes, I did read That's Because You're a Robot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that too. Oh my! Because yes. that's 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 a I like that book a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I really did. I really I, like that book. A lot. I, uh, I I have to say that it, that is something that I picked up very much based on. I think you pulling a few pages on onto the Tumblr, and I did. I thought that that was a tremendously funny um, one of those things where the the part of the delight is seeing how the one joke gets pulled for as long as it does. Um, and delightfully it's interestingly formatted. Was it originally like a, I don't know, like a newspaper strip or something. There's something about the, the way that shaky cane chooses to do his full page splashes or some of his panel breakdowns. that just feels so odd. Well, I, I think that's part of shaky cane being shaky cane. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to check. He used to do, uh, deadline stuff like he would he was very formalist mm-hmm. uh he like he, he was always very clearly working within an existing format mm-hmm. um that was meant to evoke something else mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if that's what's going on here or if, if maybe it has been printed somewhere else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know I yeah don't know. I, I, but, I i don't uh, i i'm not sure but i did find it um yeah, just a really great one joke. Kind of wish it was a two ninety nine book than three ninety nine, but eh, I was happy to happy to do it. So let me run through my list. It is much as always, inevitably much much smaller than yours. Uh, that's because you're a robot. The one shot being Puppy Cat number two, uh, Starlight number four, Crossed Badlands issue fifty five, Walking Dead one twenty eight, Shutter number three. The first three issues of Garth Ennis's sci fi title Caliban. Uh, Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, number one. Big Trouble in China, Little China, number one. Uh, Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, City of Courts, number five. Um, I feel like there's other stuff, but maybe there really isn't. Um, also, what, what's really funny is you've said a couple of things there, just like, oh, I read that as well. <laughs> right, I'm sure <laughs> See, you did, Grant. Really, I'm really bad at gathering everything together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's, there's also the Buffy comics as well. The Buffy. And oh, Jordan right. You've always got a certain yeah. chunk of the Buffy stuff. Yeah, then I think I reread issues of Thor 140 through 142. Web of Spider-Man number six, the Marvel Assistant Size Spectacular number one. <laughs> this is all off the Marvel Unlimited Wait, app. Marvel is, oh, I'll have to look up that. I didn't even know that was on there. Yeah, the Marvel Assistant Size Spectacular. I would love to talk about that. Um, both Web of Spider-Man number six and Marvel Assistant Size Spectacular number one was the miracle of flipping through the list of uh, talent um, that they have to, to browse from and seeing the name of Jojo uh, Penalta, who is, uh, I want to say over in Spain, who used to listen to the podcast, hopefully he still does. I swapped, a, I follow him on Twitter and we swapped a couple of emails and I was sort of very delighted to see his name on there. Oh, and I also read the first three issues of Winter Soldier by Brubaker and Butch Guise and realizing oh, I, that, I, yeah. I still have to read that. I've never, I've never read that. Exactly. I, I also read, um, right there. 
the first uh, Don Slott She-Hulk series this week as well. Ooh, interesting. Was that on there? Yeah, it's uh, both Don Slott series are on there. Wow, I should I should revisit that. Um, yeah, I have to say the Marvel Unlimited does give you access to a lot of recent stuff that if you're in a oh I always meant to read that you it can it's like it really is like I don't even know why I need to buy comics you know other than of course I'm going to continue to buy comics but the Mar- seriously people I I hate to admit it because of my various uh, queasy feelings about them but Marvel Unlimited is a ridiculously good value. Um, for what you get, it is. If yeah, you... it 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 is nuts. It yeah. is really, really, really. If you like Marvel characters, mm-hmm. uh, and you have like the nine dollars a month to spare, just to sample it. Yeah, just to sample you it. Know? You can. It it really is. Um, like I think I mentioned in in another uh in a column for the for the for our our website, it really is like being able to dig through the long boxes of your friend who's like a crazy Marvel nut and kind of weirdly inconsistent. So it's like they have a, a a really full slot of the stuff that's come out from like the last two years and then just weird collections from all over the place. Like that Marvel assistant size spectacular, great first issue. It's the only issue they have on there. And I'm like, but this is from 2009. It's not like there's any sort of, but there may not have been another, issue i think they're well unless they didn't put one out they pitched it like it was going to be a multi-issue thing because they have a framing device that is literally the assistant editors like hanging out in the bathrooms being like okay i could pitch better stories than that oh yeah what story would you pitch and then they lead into it so there's two there's two stories in the first issue but there's like six editors hanging out in this bathroom so maybe there's i'm looking it up because i'm fairly sure it's a one shot is it really I'm I'm looking it up right now, Jeff. Please look it up, Graham. Marvel Assistant. Oh, of course. Even though I'm searching for it, it's just not it's like it's not Googleable. Why is that not Googleable? <laughs> That's so fucking weird. Yeah, for some reason, it is not. It don't looks miss like it's this two. It, it's it, called. Don't miss really? this two issue anthology of also Rands who just might ascend to the yeah, there, list. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And they've only got issue one. That's yep. hilarious. Yeah. Good isn't job. It? Yeah. Well, that's. Good job. Also, there are, there are a surprising number of series of which start with issue two on there as well. Yeah, exactly. Just really strange, strange choices for how they put their stuff together. And then I want to say, did I read anything in PDF or in the thing? I don't think so. I think it's been a, a kind of a light. Late week for me, comic-wise, because I had to make sure that I was on top of my shit, Avengers-wise, and all the stuff that we've been doing for the podcast behind the scenes. So, of which there's more to come, everybody. By the way, so yeah, there is. There's there's uh, a chunk more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. To to demonstrate how incredibly not together Jeff and I are, uh, we really thought that uh, we would not reach our first milestone. Never mind three of them. Yeah. Uh, in our first month. So the fact that we reached three in a week <laughs> kind of made us go, oh, shit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm sure at some point I, I will get back into the rhythm of writing every week and making sure I've got stuff read. Um, but, you know, if nothing else, you guys will have ample chances to get sick of us, I think, in the weeks to come. Hopefully you will not. So um, anything else, 
Graham? No, I think up? I think this is the point where we again point people to where we are now, seeing as we're not everywhere where we used to be. We are at waitwhatpodcasts.com. We are at uh, patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcasts. And we are at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Exactly. Uh, we're also still ourselves on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I am Graham M. Jeff is Lazy Bastard. But there's also a Wait What Podcast Twitter account that we are at some point going to have to work out what we're doing, Jeff. Yeah, we do, really uh, do. Yeah. But that is, uh, I think it's just at Wait What Podcast, right? Yeah. Am that, I correct in saying that? Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, the, the, the Twitter, the Twitter account? Yes, at, at Wait What Podcast. Yeah. Um, we're We're around all these places. So, A... Give us some money, please. B, <laughs> if you've given us money, uh, we, uh, I think Jeff and I have both sent out lots of thank you notes now, but you, uh, if you've received one, you probably know how grateful we are. We yes. are very, very, very grateful for people who have already supported us. It's, yeah. um, it's kind of embarrassing how touched <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, it ruins our, our, ruins our whole thing, but yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we really are incredibly grateful for yeah. everyone who's, who's uh, supporting us. Um, but yes, uh, otherwise, feel free to uh, email or leave comments yeah. or, I guess, tumble us or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, we're around and you guys can tell us what you want us to do besides finish talking about the adventure. <laughs> right, exactly. We got that as the to-do list. But yeah, so definitely if there's stuff you want us to write about or think about before then... We are, um, I'm sure it's going to be a while before we actually, um, stop running around going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. So, uh, help us with that part of the brain, I think. So. But on the plus side about us going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, hey, you know we're sincere, because if we were slick, we wouldn't be this unprofessional. Yeah, exactly. We'd be like, hey, so we really appreciate all this money, that's why we've started this Kickstarter for our comic book anthology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, check in with, check in on yes. the website, waitwhatpodcast.com, being updated twice weekly, plus the show notes for this podcast you'll find there. So that's, I guess that's going to be an additional entry for me that week. Woohoo! And, hooray! Hooray! And, and Up- we will updated, be back in two weeks. Uh, twice weekly and then every second week, three times weekly. Cause, yeah. you know, that's not awkward at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> We shall, indeed, be back in two weeks. Listeners, thank you very much for your time. I'm trying to get back into our calm thing from before, Jeff. Really? But you've got to do do your beautiful sing us out. Oh, God, I do, don't I? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you can can do do it it? like super... Maybe. Hold on, let me me swig some water here. Wow, and there's like sound effects while you're swimming. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's why I was hoping for that. Bye. No, see, I can't even do it. It's horrible. <laughs> <clears throat> see, oh, I knew this was bad. You know? Bye. See, so much beautiful. It's just, ah, lovely. I can't do that at all. Embarrassing. Embarrassing.